We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is, uh, he's not here, he's, he's got he's got things to do. But Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. This is the one of our fun commentary tracks. It is the first commentary track of January 2024, starting off a whole new year of worth of commentaries. And what better way to start them off than with the beginning of a series we intend on doing for the next five months. Why? Not because of an anniversary, not because of any specifically connected films, but just because why not? And that is exactly what we're doing. We're going to be talking Pirates of the Caribbean, the entire franchise, starting with, of course, the curse of the Black Pearl. And yeah, that's what we're going to do. That's we're gonna we're gonna do that. We're gonna talk about all these pirates movies starting with this one. Joining me to discuss Pirates of the Caribbean, Cole and the Curse of the Black Pearl. We have host of the Brandon Peters show. He has no time for long words. He's not but a humble pirate. It's Brandon Peters. I am a matey, uh swab the poop deck, walk the plank. Happy to be here. All those things. Also joining us from the Milky Way Blues, here to enjoy the horizon and some really bad eggs. It's Yancey Burns. Hey, I, in lieu of a joke, I will offer a compliment. I think your beard looks really good, Aaron. Thank you. You can see it. You look good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and joining us from the outside scoop, he may be the worst pirate I've ever heard of. It's Scott, the ice cream man, Mendelssohn. <laughs> Fuck you, Newworth. I'm a mediocre to three-star pirate. By the way, why can't pirates pass, or why can't, uh, by, fuck. You're right, I'm terrible. Yeah, that Yelp score's going. Yeah. Why, <laughs> why can't pirates be lawyers? Yarp. Why? All right. Punchline. You're past the bar. Hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. How are you guys all doing this evening? Good. Uh, Yo ho. Exactly. Yes. That's, exactly. That's, that's the right answer, actually. But no, ready to I, set sail. Good. We should set sail. What we're doing here is very straightforward. We're going to be talking over Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl, the first entry in the very expansive franchise. Um, if you're going to play to follow along with us, what we have done right now is Brandon, Scott, Yancey, and myself have all paused the movie at 10 seconds in. That is where the Pirates of the Caribbean title logo is on screen in lieu of any studio because they didn't do that for the first one. So there you go. Uh, so what we're going to do is on the sound of go. That's we're... how you know this movie's fucking hardcore. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to count down from three. And on the sound of go, we're gonna all going to press play at the same time and start talking over it with the film on mute, of course. So if we plan to follow along, just set it at the right place and then go. If you're listening just to listen, you're good. You're, you're, you're good to go. You know, Rest on your pile of doubloons or keep doing your morning exercises or driving to work or whatever you're doing while listening to this podcast. Um, all right. You guys already? Yep. R. Three, two, one. Pirates of the Caribbean. Curse of the Black Pearl. Uh, okay. Freaking Disney. Two thousand three. That is a life for me. Oh, <laughs> Ju- oh, oh, oh. two thousand three. July two thousand three. This movie is coming out. There's things we can say about that, but before let's go, I want to know what your guys' mood was like going to see. The, I assume we all saw it like opening day ish. Yes. Are we all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all saw it like opening. So I did mm-hmm. it actually. I'm going to go first. I this movie came out. It, 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 it's not the same as Finding Nemo came out. What like two weeks earlier or a week earlier? When did it come out? Scott, you know. Um, Finding Nemo came out in late. May. This came out in May. Okay. Yes. This came out several weeks later, the first weekend after July 4th weekend. So otherwise known as the Forrest Gump slot. 
Yeah, I had a I was on a vacation that year with my dad and like whatever happened, like I had missed seeing Finding Nemo when it had come out. And by the time I got back home, Pirates had been out, but there was a chance to see movies. So we were able to see Finding Nemo, which was fantastic. And we're also able to see the other movie that came out around the same time as Pirates. Do you have a guess as to what that movie would have been? Were those extraordinary gentlemen? The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, yes. of yes. course. That's the other because I couldn't see pirates yet. So it's the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Definitely a movie that exists. Um, so I finally saw okay. pirates. I think it was like in the week because it was summer, so I'm not in school. I believe it was like after the weekend at that point, where it already like been a hit as far as its opening box office and like the reviews were stronger than expected. Um, so my dad and I saw this movie, and I was quite impressed. I, I I was I was impressed by the the wordplay in particular. I was like, "There's a script here that's actually pretty witty, uh, more so than I than I felt." Um, and I was on board. I was on board with the characters. I was on board with the the kind of the, the scope of it and what it was doing. It seemed a little long, but I was like, "Yeah, this is too much fun." I had a lot of fun watching pirates. Um, but but Brandon, how about you? What, what was your thing with seeing a pirate with Pirates of the Caribbean? Uh, well, I went on a Sunday night. Um, I was in college. And, uh, my roommate, uh, one of my friends, uh, Chris, like he, he would, I could, I could drag him to anything really if I wanted to, he wasn't into everything, but I like would go movie or whatever. And he actually was like, you want to go see a pirate? I kind of want to see a pirates movie on Sunday. I was like, all right, let's go. And I was just, you know, went in with just whatever modest expectations, just kind of a movie you didn't see coming. And I was just kind of like, wow, uh, that was a hell of a lot of fun. And the next morning, I had a class the next morning. Maybe I was in summer school or something. Uh, but one of my favorite professors, his name's Wes Gearing. He um, just wrote books on Chaplin and James Dean and all sorts of things. Um, but next morning, he we uh, Mondays in class, we always shared what we watched or something over the weekend. And we both shared that we saw Pirates. He's like, he's like, he goes, you know, I might have unexpectedly saw the best movie of the summer last night. We were like, what? He's like, I can't believe it, but you know that I went and saw Pirates of the Caribbean, and wow, uh, what a good big budget blockbuster film this was! I couldn't believe it. Like Johnny Depp was wonderful. They just swashbuckling, everything worked. It was like the perfect pirate movie. I he had no, and I was like, yeah, I saw it too. He's like, what? Did, he's like, did you? Am I crazy? And I was like, no, it was. I was surprised as well. So, um. It was a big monster that you just kind of took for granted in this summer and packed a wall up when you did see it, for me at least. So I want to get to you guys, but before we do, let's just establish right away that not only are we establishing that um, Elizabeth is the main character of this trilogy, but also she's a thief. Um, that's right away we learn she's a, just a she horrible She has stolen the lead role, yes. Hor- horrible, horrible thief. She's still, exactly, she stole the lead role. Sure you right from under him. Um. But we'll get more back to that. But uh, Yancey, how about you? What, what, you? what was your anticipation for for seeing pirates? Well, you know, <laughs> twenty years ago, I was much more hot headed and argumentative about movies than even I am today. I was I was really on crusades, and basically, it's because the Star Wars prequels had come out. I liked them; no one else did. Online culture was starting to really burgeon. And this summer, unfortunately, this movie had the bad luck of coming out a month and a half or so after a movie that I really liked and was trying to push on everybody in the world that nobody was really getting into, which was Ang Lee's Hulk, 
Okay. I really, I wanted, I, I like it. I think, I still think it's a very good movie. But at the time, I was like, no, it's it, he's really trying. It's Peter Paris and I worked together, friends of the of this show, Peter Paris, and, and and we would just be ranting and raving about things like this and how stupid everybody who didn't like the Hulk was. So I was in a bad mood because I knew this was going to be a big hit. And the first time that I saw it on that Friday night, I I thought it was too long. No, no denying Johnny Depp was great, but I thought it was a little too long, um, and I just was in a bad mood. Immediately afterward, though, it ended up in every friend's house and on every TV you would visit, and I, the second time I saw it, I liked it much, much more. But that first night, I was like, too long, too loud, and I'm in a bad mood because the Hulk is not a hit. It's funny, like, the Hulk was... I had these, I had these, you speak about Crusades, like, it was this movie, it was the Hulk, and, like, the next year it was... It was Chronicles of Riddick, where I was just convinced that both of these movies were just going to do it. And like, even yeah. though the trailers mm-hmm. were not exactly winning people over, I was like, you guys don't understand. Ang Lee has made a Hulk movie that's going to yes. be, it's going to be totally great. You can't miss. And then I like the the summer after, I was like, guys, Pitch Black is awesome. There's no <laughs> way <laughs> Chronicles of Riddick is not going to be what I think it's going to be. And it wasn't. Um, but but Hulk was one where I, where I was. I was with you as far as I was annoyed that it wasn't getting more respect because I certainly found it interesting. I agree. It's a very yeah. odd film. But it was like, this is more interesting than you know, whatever. That said, Hulk did come out like, I believe it was the same weekend as Hollywood Homicide. I know that I saw Hollywood mm-hmm. Homicide right after it <laughs> because I jumped me and my dad and I jumped to Hollywood Homicide after Hulk. Um, but underrated picture for, for me, that was a great six hours watching all, yeah. the, all those things six um, hours. right here right away by the way uh the good bit with orlando bloom was already like doing a little comedic stuff where he like breaks mm-hmm. off the thing on the on the wall and it's like yeah this guy's silly this guy this guy's this guy's a dweeb he's got more than just being a, a straight laced dude um scott where are you with uh with seeing pirates I saw this with a friend of mine toward the tail end of my of college. Um, it was it came out on a Wednesday, and I don't remember if I saw it Tuesday night at nine or whether it was, you know, a, an old school opening night Wednesday night showing or not. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, the reviews were very positive, and regardless of what we think now, twenty one years later, the the mood at the time was that mate, you know, X two was good. X Matrix Reloaded was a bit too much. You know, the general consensus was that, or at least, you know, especially online or whatever. And then, you know, Hulk broke the opening weekend record for June and then dropped by a record 69%. Folks liked Terminator 3, but it was more like, well, that was much better than I was expecting, I guess. So this one, when it started screening for press, when it starts, is like, okay, fuckers. This is the one you've been waiting for. And the previews, the first teaser premiered in front of the two towers, which of course was a brilliant play because they both had Orlando Bloom. And if you did not like Orlando Bloom before the two towers, there was a good chance you were a something of a fan coming out of the two towers because <laughs> that had a lot of, you know, buzzy Legolas action scenes. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's striking how little he's in Fellowship of the Ring in terms of making an impression, but I digress. Um, two Towers is the one where he sort of... None of this is answering my question. Um, <laughs> we're going to Let's hear it. Well, no. Uh, so I went in expecting to see a very good blockbuster, and I liked it a lot. There are nits to be picked. It is a little long. It's narratively repetitive. I'm sure we'll talk about that when the time comes. 
Um, you know, Johnny Depp at this time, it was sort of weird and fun to cast him in a stereotypical blockbuster role. And it was very clear, even from the previews, that he was doing something a little weird with it. Uh, you know, contrary to conventional wisdom then and now, I would argue it was very apparent in the trailers that this film was a little bit off kilter, yeah. both in terms of his performance, both in terms of Jeffrey Rush being very hammy. Um, and it's just, you know, you could sort of get a, a sense of like, okay, the idea of a movie based on a Disney theme park ride. Scott, we have two hours cynical. to talk about this movie. Tell me what you thought yeah, of it. The... <laughs> <laughs> I liked it a lot. I, know, I also saved something for later. Where we did you to... get popcorn when you went, Scott? I don't remember. What theater did you see it in? Uh, the Regal next to Wright State University. This is a oh, great okay. entrance for Jack Sparrow, but this is just an all-time like this hero. This is one of the all-time great, great entrances yes. yeah. for Hollywood. This old character. bit. For a fr- who go on to be a franchise character, there's a better entrance than Indiana Jones gets, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Character-defining intro. Something um, that like clicked with me right away, like because Finding Nemo had come out, Jeffrey Rush is in both of these, and there was just a lot of there's a lot of like wordplay stuff happening, and like when Jeffrey Rush enters that movie, and they're like there's this like back and forth involving him and the fish talking about the dentistry and like how familiar we are with that stuff, the same kind of thing starts happening here right away with with Depp and the way he's like kind of talking his way through getting into into town and everything here it was just like i it was being very apparent to me that there's just something going on in the in the writing uh, it's a a smart funny movie and that is the most important thing about it it's the good it's a good script i mean it's a lot of good gags he's got such a like with his performance like when he's speaking to somebody stuff like you almost as an audience member feel for that person standing there as you know like his breath could probably knock you back five feet (laughs) like it's so interesting like it's hard to explain but he's got a there's a breathiness to his voice in this that's just like what a fucking drunk yeah he, <laughs> he looks like, like, like he looks like a guy that smells yes yeah <laughs> You're smells, not but like yeah, his breath would just be like, like ever clear <laughs> just coming out at you like just like oh jeez had there ever been a character pitched like this before where obviously he's johnny depp so women will find him attractive to some degree but he's not meant to be an object of desire in the movie. He's he's a little too weird. Arthur. Well, they they kind of let Jeff Depp. <laughs> they let Depp D- run Dudley Moore right? movies. <laughs> Arthur, let... Dudley Moore. What are you talking about? I mean, there's an entire digression where it's him and her on the desert just so they can basically flirt. I uh, well, even though they're clearly not the sequel, meant to be together. But... Um, What's interesting to me is that this this. I think that first night I saw it, if you've been in the car, unfortunately, and hearing me bitch about it, I would have been complaining about the fact that they do in this what they do in the night at the opera and a lot of other movies in the third from the 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. where you've got the lead character is a little bit off kilter, like the Marx Brothers or like Captain Jack Sparrow. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure you have a boring couple in the lead, just in case anyone in the audience is really put off by this weird character. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying Keira Knightley and, and Orlando Lou are boring, but. I, I remember thinking, why would I want to spend more time with them when you've established how fantastic this Johnny Depp character is? They designed it, so, and it, I think it must have been, because it was Robert De Niro originally, I mean, it seemed like it's designed for an older actor who wouldn't have been as hot-button appealing as Johnny Depp finally mm-hmm. having his moment like he did here. Well, I just think it's interesting how well, the movie well, spends a lot of time, you know, and, and well, I like Orlando Bloom, but this he doesn't is the Star Wars formula. That's what they were. So saying. you have this lovable rogue that's you know sort of a fan favorite, 
a yeah, lot Han of Han Solo is not as repulsive as Jack Sparrow. No, but, but he's a guy. But he's a guy. Difference. But what Scott's saying is he's still used in doses. He's not the yeah. He's not the, he's the, he's not, he's not the guy this that's is obviously conceived as a Han Solo. And they jump the gun before Star Wars and do uh, Sparrow a pirate story. Um, <laughs> that's coming different. down the line. Yeah, that's obviously they, they want they're designing it to him to be a Han Solo and like a lead. Where Han Solo was the lead character, but Star Wars was designed as a Luke Skywalker story. It's not designed to well, be. And I would argue that he's not the lead in this film. He's not. He's one of the three no. leads alongside Hera Knightley and. and it's a trio, uh, yeah. The Star Wars, the Star Wars formula. The, the yeah. events of this um, film are triggered by things that Elizabeth Swan does. That yes, is, that is the drive of the story of this movie. Um, I guess the first scene, but before that, he didn't he get involved? You know, with isn't the actual kicker of the story what happened with him and the black pearl that's oh, backstory that informs what's why things are happening certain ways but the reason the black pearl even gets here is again because of Elizabeth swan like everything happens yeah. Yeah, I'm saying when you go to she see faints she falls in the ocean sets off the stop you're both talking i know we gotta save everything there's no arc for jack though there's an arc for the other two yeah jack is still jack by the end of this movie Hmm? An arc you don't want an arc for Groucho either, right? You want you don't necessarily, yeah, but like Hans Han Solo has an arc. I mean, like yeah. eventually he does. Yeah, I guess he, he has well, a lot. He has an arc. When yeah. you're talking about like character structure dynamic di- dynamics, uh, like Yancy, with the, uh, one thing I like about Will Turner, Orlando Bloom's here is he's only like ninety percent pure hero. There's he can't quite yeah. like he's still he's got stumbles. pirate in his blood. He's, He's still allowed to get clowned on. He's still, he's not quite, he can go and he, he says the heroic things. He wants to do the heroic things, but he just can't, he could never do it himself. He needs the other two. And, and sometimes it, it winds up in some comedic stuff or he needs help, but like, he's only 90% like pure true hero. Like he never, he never will become Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter or anything like he's lacking that 10%, which I think makes him a lot more interesting than you would think. Um, here in this series the bit right there where, the where she falls in the water and it cuts to jack and he says and then they made me their chief that was a oh, running line that, that i said for like years <laughs> it's, just, it's so random it's funny uh commodore norrington by the way jack from... davenport one of the most boring characters you could ask for just, just you need to be please he's got to be but you never need to still, be boring. you know it, it's it's it was to my surprise i mean that he doesn't get killed at the end of this because <laughs> there's one of two ways that you resolve, resolve the core romance. And I think one reason why I do like this film is that, yeah, okay. If he had died, that would have been fine too. But I like the fact that he is a good enough person to make the right choice at the end of the picture. Yeah. The, the... Well, because Karen Knightley was in love with him and she's a good enough person to not have been in love with a total scoundrel. To be clear, she was never in love with this guy. He's, well, he's... she liked him. They were, they had, he had something for her, whatever. He, he, it's the, no. this is what's supposed to happen situation. It's a they betrothed. go all the way scoundrel with that other character that comes in later, who too far scoundrel. Um, the main bad guy. So, um, gotta say. Let, let's dig into this movie a little bit. Um, Disney wanted to make movies out of the theme park rides. Pretty straightforward. We have these things. They can make money for us. So far, didn't happen. Country Bears, big flop. Not a. Why start with that one? Almost famous for kids. They had one before that too. They had like did a they? tower, a tower right? Uh, one. It was a, a TV movie to... with yeah. Steve Guttenberg. Oh, yeah. I did Country Bears on my show, and I had to look up the the ride history of movies. 
And there was there was a TV movie in the '90s with Gutenberg that um, was based on a riot. I can't remember which one. Might have been uh, Tower of Terror. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you you can argue some other things, but in terms of like their big mainstream releases, they tried Country Bears didn't work. They've been wanting to do Pirates for a while. Um, they hired Jay Walpert to deliver a script. Uh, Jay Walpert, this guy is fascinating to me. <laughs> He's a Bronx guy. He won the Jeopardy Tournament of Champions in 1969. <laughs> He became a game show guy. He was working for Chuck Barris Productions. He created a lot of shows, including Double Dare. Not that Double Dare. A different Double Dare. (laughs) He tried to make a TV show out of Trivial Pursuit. Um, He was a big game show guy. He eventually wrote Count of Monte Cristo, the 2002 version, um, which obviously did well. Um, And he was hired on this one. Stuart Beatty came in for whatever reason to rewrite it because he was a big piracy expert, among other things. He had mm. written other scripts and he like goes on to do collateral and things like that. And of course, direct Brandon I. Frankenstein. So, you know, he's got that going for him. Oh, that guy. Um, yes. uh, then Bruckheimer gets hired on. Bruckheimer is like, pirate movies don't do well. Why did I get myself hired on in this movie? I have no idea, but we need something else going for us. So they, he brings in Ted Elliott and Terry Russo, Russo, Rocio. Who, of course, they've done Zorro, they did Aladdin, they did Shrek. Um, they got a lot of things to their name, of course, Treasure Planet, um, as far as pirate movies go. They it's add the supernatural <laughs> element. They add the supernatural element. That gets Bruckheimer being like, Yeah, there we go. Now we can we can make some money off of this thing. Um fun thing about this, the those two, they had a 90s version in mind, which Spielberg apparently got a, his hands on that script. And he had some interest in making a Pirates movie, and that would have either starred Bill Murray, Steve Martin, or Robin Williams. And Brandon, here you go again. He wanted Sylvester McCoy to play Commodore Swan. There you go. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Bruckheimer's in. They got a script going for him. Eisner sees um, Country Bears flop, and he's like, shut this shit down. We cannot spend $150 million on a pirate movie. That's nonsense. Bruckheimer's like, hey, it's me, Jerry B. What do you got? I got to make this happen. And how does he make it happen? By hiring all of the worst possible people to make a blockbuster movie out of. He gets the guy, he gets the director of Mouse Hunt and the Mexican. He gets Johnny Depp, box office non-star. He gets Jeffrey Rush, a guy that just kind of emerged in the 90s and has no real record. He has the seventh lead of Lord of the Rings. Yes. <laughs> Kira Knightley, who has just like one thing to her name, basically with Bennett, like Beckham, mm-hmm. uh, all of them get involved. We can talk more about who else was in. You know, I mean, was Bennett like this. Beckham even out and about? No. Verbinski hadn't even seen it. He just liked right. her audition. We're here. We're hearing <laughs> yeah. good things about that one. It's going to yeah. be a big hit. We're hearing good things. Put her in it. All of that comes together. Verbinski's like believes in the script. He has a vision for this thing. He wants to make like a golden age Hollywood era thing, but with like modern effects and stuff. So he's like, I can make this work. Uh, and then, yeah, they start filming. They film and they're supposed to film in like July, but it gets delayed to October. So they get it done in March, which is impressive because this movie has a lot of things going on. They get it done in March 2003. It has to be done in theaters four months later. That is nonsense for a giant pirates movie like this. Um, but yeah, with all that in mind, uh, Johnny Depp, the the idea for his, we can talk more about this, this is fun. The idea for his character, they wanted a young Burt Lancaster type initially. That's what they were going for. So they thought McConaughey. McConaughey looks like young Burt Lancaster. That's what they wanted. McConaughey apparently had the juice. Um, didn't get McConaughey, obviously. When they when um, Beatty was writing the script, he's Australian. You know who else is Australian? Hugh Jackman. 
Hugh Jackman was who oh, he had yeah. in mind. He wanted Hugh Jackman to be Captain Jack Sparrow. He thought that would work. Me and Hugh went to high school together. We can make this happen. Obviously, that doesn't happen. Others consider Jim Carrey, <laughs> um, um, who like apparently like he was in, down for it, but Bruce Almighty, like, that was that he was doing that. No time for pirates. Uh, Michael Keaton, for some reason, is in the conversation. That said, there's fun. also there's a direct-to-video version of this if this didn't become like a bigger thing. So I imagine he'd be the star of that version of that movie, along with Christopher Walken they're considering, Carrie Elwes they're considering, or Rick Mayall. You know who Rick Mayall is? Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Uh, young Ones. Young Ones and mm-hmm. Drop Dead Fred, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which, when you say Drop Dead Fred, it's like, I guess there's a Captain Sparrow in there. That kind of, <laughs> that kind of tracks. Uh, but yeah, none of that obviously happened. They got they got they got Johnny Depp, who um, you know does all Other the stuff man. he does. He caps his teeth with gold. <laughs> he he really believed in this project. <laughs> he like went to that far. Um, yeah, I'll stop for a bit. We can talk about other things, but I just want to get the the whole genesis of this ridiculous project because it's just like when you look at all those pieces, like n- none of that spelled success necessarily. <laughs> none of that said well, like Gore Verbinski well, was the ring before this, right? What? But the ring was yeah, he had the ring. He had the he had the ring. He was a proven he was, was he, he had he had hits. He had he had the ring. The Mexican was a was a big he, hit. Malson was like Malson got good reviews. Like Mouse yeah. Was, yeah, it was I mean it was one of those classic late December releases that did uh-huh. ten times its opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a talented I, filmmaker. I'm sure they yeah, that's yeah, why they get yeah, he, he pitched. He pitched well. Disney's banking on this is one of their most popular rides. I mean, yeah. people who who haven't even been to Disney before know of Pirates of the Caribbean. So, so nothing why start with no, the country bears. Nobody here because some executive son liked it, and that's yeah. why they did it. Like it <laughs> was, was it's rides. literally in this one to do. Yeah. First. <laughs> yeah. But this one, so they're they're like, okay, nobody here is bigger than this ride. We sell the ride itself. The and hopefully we can make this big swashbuckling adventure. It looks fun. Has some people you recognize, but people are coming for the ride. And obviously it worked, but like I think they're putting the ride above nobody's as big as this ride. At and the maybe. time, yeah, the star was definitely the idea of the ride being. The ride is the star. Without and that, that, completely, have caught on. that completely kept me uninterested. I kept thinking they're making a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. That is a well, horrible yeah, yeah. idea. <laughs> as a movie person, you're just like, that's kind of underwhelming. That, that seems really underwhelming. And that's what I do like nothing about it beyond just Disney's making a ride out of their a movie out of their ride. Now, when they when I if saw, you're Yancey, you're like, they people fucking dog in the Ang Lee film. Who's this Forbinsky <laughs> son of a bitch coming over here? <laughs> I like the ring. Make him like one off guys. a goddamn ride. I like the ring a lot. You guys dogging it. <laughs> it's interesting. So when when we say that pirate movies were never hits, obviously thirty years before they were. So we talking about Cutthroat Islands. Yeah, well, Cutthroat that Cut one Island, Cutthroat Island and Waterworld fit in that category as and far the as big, the big Roman Polanski Pirates movie from the 80s was a big budget flop with Walter Matthau well, Muppets that's Treasure all, Island you know, Goonies wasn't a hit that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a cult that's a cult favorite at this point yeah so like yeah well I mean in recent in recency uh like you know everybody's afraid of Cutthroat Island because it bankrupted a studio uh yeah. and 
I I like Cutthroat Island, but I don't deny that it is not a liked movie, and it, did and not it bankrupted do well a studio is the main thing well, that you I mean, want to emphasize. It bankrupted a studio. Whether I, any people who saw it liked it, nobody saw it. I mean, I saw no, it in a pretty yeah. empty theater on Christmas Day. Yeah, I, I saw it Christmas Day, and I just wasn't <laughs> like, what did Batman Mask the Phantasm cost a hundred million dollars? <laughs> but I mean, you have to go back. You got to go back to like what the Michael Caine movie, The Island, in the eighties to like think of like what else is there. And yeah, then, you're right. Not all the swash, thing. not all the swashbucklers were pirate movies back then. Um, and there was but, a swashbuckler with Robert Shaw in the seventies. I never saw it. I don't think it was a hit. It's funny, Dog. like even when you say swashbuckler, my mind like generally doesn't go to pirate. I get that no, it makes it, sense, it, it, yeah. but my mind goes. I mean, obviously Robin Hood, but just like more of that like, area. Captain Blood. Princess like, Bride has piracy in it. Yeah, yeah but even it, then, like I don't think about pirates when i think about princess bride like i feel like it just seems like a bad word that's what i'm saying like it is like the it doesn't opening like act the opening act has enough pirate stuff for just people like sitting on boats that eventually go to land and then do stuff like <laughs> and so it, it's really i i was thinking about this before this comment i'm like this is really this is a genre that people think there's a lot of but there's really not at least nothing iconic or like tons of like high profile projects that have come out through the years, or we just all missed the era and none of those films have really survived anything. Well, no, I mean, obviously, Earl Flynn, the Crimson, you know, and and Burt Lancaster and the Crimson Pirate. There were a lot of big pirate movies in the 30s and 40s and 50s. But that's so long ago. And I mean, in recent history, yeah, there's there's not. We were talking recently about how whether or not something like Robin Hood has any value anymore. And maybe it doesn't, but pirates are always going to come back because piracy is is just a cool idea. So the fact that there hadn't been a pirate movie in 20 years, it was a hit. Just meant someone had to crack it. Not according to Metallica. (laughs) Well, in terms of developing, you know, they feel that the thing that cracked the script was the idea of making the the pirates ghosts. Yeah, having a supernatural. That would give it an extra bit of supernatural. It's not actually part of the ride. You'd have special effects driven skeletons running around with swords, and that made it more than just. You know, Captain Blood. Because you have two giant mummy yeah. movies, and it's like, yeah, let's yeah. like let's let's throw old fashioned swashbuckle stuff with special effects that you know evoke certain kind of thing imagery. But I mean, right? Like you're, I mean, you're trying to. It's also trying to make the argument that like pirate movies are good. Actually, I mean, it's me. I mean, it, to an extent, yeah. You said, no, there's, there's no, not, not that many. Saying, I mean, there's not that many I'm because saying, they kept failing over and over yeah, again. They're not going to make a surplus of them. I mean, but they I'm were successful good, in, actually, years, in earlier saying, decades, so they obviously have the history of them being successful. Why did they stop being successful? Because mm-hmm. Errol Flynn's biggest movies are pirate movies, Burt Lancaster pirate movies. They were successful until the '60s, probably, and then boom, Hammer did some pirate movies, right, Brandon? Pirates of Blood River, yep. you know. There's some. It was. It was. The, it was, it was a good deal until yeah. you know. Maybe until Star Wars came in, and then this was just someone cracking the idea of pirates and making it seem new again, thanks to Johnny Depp mostly, mm-hmm. and a Disney budget. There's the dog with the keys. Um, oh, man, I think even from the first, especially the first trailer, not the first teaser that had no footage. The first trailer. This was a film that was sold as, and as silly as it's going to sound, like this isn't just a franchise picture. This is a good movie. Mm. You know this. We are selling something of quality in terms of scale and size and the actors that you don't necessarily expect to see in a conventional blockbuster picture. Um, and even the opening scene of this film is haunting and poignant in a in, and very well constructed from a cinematic point of view in a way that you maybe weren't expecting from the studio that you know, the previous year had made the Country Bears. So right out of the gate, this film 
both in terms of marketing and in terms of when you're sitting down to watch it, it's like, oh, this is a real fucking movie. Mm-hmm. And that's I fair. Think, I would I would say like the masses seeing this movie aren't being like, man, it really open strong. I think they're thinking more of like, you know, why am I giving well, I why, why am I spreading word of mouth? It's because Johnny mm-hmm. Depp made me laugh for two hours while watching a pirate movie. Well, but uh, and all the you know, they they liked the Will Turner Elizabeth romance. Oh, that that they, stuff too. I mean, I, they, I think I get like the atmospherics and whatnot. Like Gore Verbinski, they're hot young lovers who are very lusty toward each other for two hours and ten minutes. Um, and the action scenes are spec. You know, we we mostly talked over the first big sword fight, but on its own, that would be a spectacular all timer sword fight. And but that's just sort of like you know a curtain raiser here. And in some ways, I like that scene better than some of the bigger set pieces right. in this film, just because it's these you know two main characters fighting, you know, sword fighting in a very platform action kind of way, which I always enjoy. You know, now we're jumping and flying and swinging in this very contained area. We'll have more to say about um, the sword fights in in months mm-hmm. as they go on, but sword fights are just always fun. I think that's also part yeah. of it. Yeah, sword it's fights are just one of the most cinematic things there is. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of cinematic, you know what this movie offered at the time that really feels novel now to me is it offers the old-fashioned sense of movie being like a travelogue. Like a lot of this movie is crystal blue waters in the background. It's mostly filmed nice in the Caribbean with some at, LA stuff. Know, like, yeah, yeah, gives you that feeling of I'm out, I'm I'm on the seas. This is this is sort of basic cinema that really works. Well, this I mean, I this it. feels like the heyday of like the like the true like. The, the most extreme of Bruckheimer of what he was doing, where he spent a good decade making the action movies, which were successful and certainly had a sense of scale to them when it comes to Michael Bay or Tony Scott movies that he was making and Con Air. Uh, but like when you get to the Pirates, like after this series, there's not a lot of Bruckheimer that's going around. Like there's still stuff here and there, but like this feels like the epitome yeah. of like everything was building up to this, where I have these massive yeah. budgets. I have Disney muscle behind me as well. Let's do what we can. Let's get great actors like he normally does in all of his movies and combine that with the latest and greatest special effects and just these like epic things of like, you know, on the scale of a Bond movie or Batman, as we like to talk about as far as what was, you know, what were the biggest things around that time? And it it delivers. I mean, it's it's a huge movie. It's a large scale adventure movie, which if you can pull it off, I mean, it's Indiana Jones territory. You know, that's almost everybody wants to see that. I mean, and it's good in audience ways down to the point where we were just introducing these like side characters that are highly memorable from this movie. Like the guy with the the fake eye and the the parlay guys. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of side people, like little characters that just rock and are just as memorable as our leads throughout this thing. And, you know, if I got somewhat, (laughs) I don't want to say defensive, but like, you know, the idea that this film was only successful because Johnny Depp, I think, is is that's the kind of thinking that leads to bad decisions for these kind of franchises down the road in terms of trying to replicate this film's success. Mm-hmm. And, I was, you know, I, I do. Um, I was using short. Yeah, if it was, I, I was, using, I, I was, I was trying to say that you're, you're emphasizing yeah. like it opens in such a, you know, atmospheric way. I was using shorthand as far as what the word of mouth's coming yeah. from. Like, well, I mean, honestly, um, like Johnny Depp fueled the word of mouth for sure. Again, you he know, was the, the top, a huge talking point from this. We cannot ignore that. Absolutely, and but from a happen and waiting to from a, a just a, a holistic. If this movie stinks except for him, then it doesn't work. But I oh, I, I agree with you because my favorite character is Gibbs in this whole yeah. fucking franchise. <laughs> like I love that mm-hmm. guy. 
his big button chops. I mean, Brandon's saying he likes. I mean, I haven't even seen all. But I walked out of a test screen. But Brandon's saying he likes Cutthroat Island. So yeah, if that had had a hot button element, it might have caught on. It's not the movie itself that's necessarily bad. It's just hey, if they wanted to make a meme cool. out of Frank Langella's little arms, I mean, they could have done that. Yeah. That might have went made that movie go wild. I mean, they could oh, have made placemats that were that so guy's head. They pulled the map off of. That would have been fine. I remember that being gnarly. That, that, that being that was like a gnarly thing when I saw that. I was like, oh, that's neat. They like scalped the guy. There's a map, and then the rest of the mm-hmm. movie happened. Maybe if they put a pe- paper bag over Matthew Modine's head, I would have liked it more. Maybe that one. Oh, jeez. Yeah, Modine <laughs> turned me off in that movie big time. If any of the ten thousand actors that were too chicken to act alongside Gina Davis would have said yes, it would have been a better movie. Die, ain't it? Um. Kira Knightley uh, was 17 when they made this movie, um, among others. Remember, remember, everybody's like, she looks like Natalie Portman. They're like, well, about that, do you remember the <laughs> Phantom Menace? Which subsequently, it, since this movie came out, every home video release has her in the credits now. She was not credited in the original theatrical and VHS releases, and I think DVD release of the Phantom Menace. It wasn't until oh, after this came out that now I think the Blu-rays added her to the credits. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Among others considered Amanda Bynes, Jessica Alba, and Jamie Alexander. Those all make sense. I mean, regardless, I mean, you know, it's it's. She, you know, Knightley is a good actress, and I, yeah. I yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I don't. Oof, they made the right choice here, but the I mean, Alba gets her shot with right Fantastic, choice. yeah, with Fantastic Four and stuff, but like. I uh, uh, part of it is that of selling this is her being British, like everything, like yeah, that, it adds. Yeah, like do you want to see Amanda Bynes trying a no. accent? <laughs> like, that's what a girl no. wants. Uh, oh no. Um, the uh, these two guys, by the way, um, Pintel and Ragnetti. I, I, the taller one, Mackenzie Crook. I'm like, hey, he's from the office. So I was like already on board with this character. I'm like, all right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And again, this like this parlay stuff, like it just like it, very educational. It is, yeah. and it's like fun, you know. In the midst yeah. of all the pillaging that we've been watching for like the past ten minutes, like there's just like this, the movie stops in its tracks to be like, let's do some pirate lore humor. See, this is this is a good version of this kind of humor and joke. But two, three years later, Superman returns with the, I think they're coordinates, sir. Bad oh, version of that joke. <laughs> See, and because they hadn't done pirate movies in twenty five years. They had the ability to build up the mythology with just the, with just what they wanted. They don't have to use yeah. anything that anyone's expecting. No one's expecting well, anything, so they can bring parlay or whatever, and they get to build the mythology up. And eventually, it gets into this huge. Well, the nods to the back. right, the nods to the right in here are. I mean, some of them are like hot. They're in the right spots, but they're also not distracting. Well, the it's, skeleton it's, you can see the become the guy that becomes a skeleton is just a, like the first thing in the ride, right? It's not literally happening. Well, yeah. Well, the whistling of the dog coming up in the in the jail. But they're not battling skeletons on the ride. That's yeah, what no, the, the ride, no, the ride no, no. is. Yes, the ride is very grounded for the most part. It's more of like a, it's there's an implication because of the narration taking place that it's like, yeah, you know, the, the sea is pretty dangerous. But for the most part, it's just, you know, there's pirates and then it descends into chaos. Then you leave and you go out and have a good time. That's the, the ride is it's very, very odd how a lot of Disneyland rides are, are structured in that sense where they get yeah, you get to the I danger. Think- you don't really see the resolve and then you leave. I, wonder and I think one of the, one the rides of the- sort of a few times and just sort of try to spitball no, I, I think one of the lessons of this they're... scott no it's okay i think one of the lessons of this film's success is that this is a 
a blank slate situation where, yeah, there are references to the rides and some of them are more obvious than others, but they're fairly because low. Just, not- to, just to say real quick, they are fairly low because that's Eisner. Eisner was like, okay, if we're going to do this. I'm going to spend all this money on this thing. Let's minimize the the ride stuff. Yeah. And that's that's what there are. That and, and, ma- like, and there's they some made an original record. film mm-hmm. with original characters that became quote unquote movie stars, marquee characters of their own accord. So, you know, the success of this film, especially after opening weekend, because it was very leggy, is, you know, the IP was beside the point. You know, they they said, okay, we have a blank slate. Let's make a mythology that works, a film that works, characters that mm-hmm. resonate. So the fact that this is based on a ride will be the eighth most interesting thing about the movie. Yeah. So um, this is almost like the dream idea when you have a sort of dead or unexciting ip to be able to turn it into this it's why i don't get upset when i see random ideas for ip being turned into stuff i wish the results were better for a lot of these things like battleships a perfect example it's like i'm not inherently against the idea of a battleship movie because yeah do whatever you want with that the movie is what it is and okay fine but it's like that 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 gets me more than the you know latest iteration of a thing that we've seen you know fail multiple times or what have you like you know Mm -hmm. the results are the results but it's like yeah there's a blank slate that's that opens doors it opens doors to you know a barbie movie for example as far as what you i mean (laughs) we used to remake movies that weren't that great in the first place to take given someone but someone saw something in it to try to polish up and make a good version of it now we're like well that was successful so let's do it and then it's like the reverse they just want they stop there they're like well we've got that so sometimes they do stuff with it but i mean a lot there's a lot of yeah and i i think unfortunately and you're right for the record you know we've gone from remaking sam beckett the getaway because most people haven't heard of the getaway to at least trying to remake sam beckett the wild bunch because everybody's heard of the wild bunch Mm -hmm. right there you go yes yeah and it's gone from we are going to maybe perhaps maybe hopefully improve upon the source material in some way, shape or form. And we you know, most people won't have heard of the original source material to we are remaking this perfect fucking movie because you've heard of it. And it's obviously we're not going to make a better movie because the circumstances aren't there. But we know that your curiosity and interest is going to hopefully have you show up. You know, it's it's and that very yeah. rarely works. It's Grim. it's why I was so accepting of ter- we talked about this on that commentary on with Terminator Three when it came out because I'm like, if you have Jonathan Mostow directing a third Terminator, there's no reason for me to raise my expectation as to what that's going to accomplish. So I'm going to take this as whatever it feels like it is, and it you know that movie is fun. It does the job. It does. It seems like it's very much not trying to be anything more than it needs to be. Um, this stuff with the boat and everything is really fun with Nightly threatening to throw the doubloons over and all that. Uh, Jeffrey Rush is finally in this thing. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey Rush uh, was the second choice uh, for this movie because De Niro. De Niro was who they wanted. They wanted De Niro. De Niro said no because pirate movies don't do well. That was his, least, his reason. <laughs> he was like, pirate movies flop. After this movie becomes a success, he hired, he gets on to, to Stardust. The guy who did Stardust. Said pirate movies, but okay. All right, cool. Just getting that right. Well, Stardust comes after this. He chose Stardust because this movie did so well. It's like, why not? And he's great, Stardust. De Niro doesn't like risk, take risk. Got it. Got it. 
I mean, <laughs> at that point, it didn't seem like a risk, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, but there's three successful versions of this thing that I said no to once. I should do that. I know. I'm just oh. ma- I'm having fun here. <laughs> no, and Rush is in a situation where he, he wins an Oscar in 99 for Shine. And it's almost like this is what he really wanted to do. And he uses the capital that comes with winning an Oscar for Best Actor to make, you know, Anthony Hopkins style Pulp Fiction choices. So in a skewed way, while he is a very respected actor and he's very good in this and the film is better because he's there, this is very much too typecasting in terms of what he wanted to do with his career, more or less. Um, So it was not a surprise to see him in something like this. And um, Johnny Depp, not so much, just because you know, as as you mentioned correctly, you know, with, with a couple exceptions here and there, he was basically box office poison. Um, and the few times that he did try to do a quote unquote mainstream movie, you ended up with Nick of Time, yeah, which is awesome, fine, but nobody showed up. Um, and but again, I think that works in this film's favor in terms of well, that's another reason for me to think, well, this isn't quite as formulaic and generic as I might expect from the log line. You're bringing Johnny Depp into this. I'll be right back. And again, just from the first preview, you're like, and you're letting him play. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know, even before the reviews came out, there was reason to be optimistic that this might be something of a, of of value, both in terms of you know quality, artistic, whatever, and in terms of being just a crowd pleasing blockbuster. In, in you know, following a June where, frankly most of the films were either underwhelming or commercially underwhelming. So this film was positioned to be the one you've been waiting for. The one to say, you know, you know, this is the one that gives you what the others have been lacking. In the same way that in the summer of 2010, Inception played that exact same role. Following, I mean, in that case, the summer really was awful. You know, uh, you know Prince of Persia, haha, an attempt to rip off this, ironically. Um... You know, Sex in the City 2, Prince of Persia, Iron Man 2, Robin Hood. You know, the crap, again, you know, a poor attempt to, obviously that's not a ripoff of this, but it's it's it probably got greenlit because this was successful. And by the time early July comes along, Inception is the one, you know, it's like, okay, this one actually fucking delivers. And like this film, it opened very well amid strong reviews and lived like a motherfucker for the rest of the summer. Yeah, I think this summer, 2003, it's, I mean, I don't know, it, it, there's ups, there's down, but it's an it's a very interesting and eventful summer. I will say that. Lots of good car lots, chases. Lots of high profile stuff. Uh, lots of interesting things. Like it's a it's a very interesting summer. Um, with something always bumping up and down there. Um, I mean, yeah, just in terms of the big movies. Again, you know, we love Matrix Reloaded, and we've, but you know, the the general consensus after opening weekend was like it was a little bit too much and then the movies that you know uh, bruce almighty is a huge hit among general moviegoers but it's not exactly bad boys 2 what was that that's after this i know i'm just saying um the summer in june you basically have hulk which was not well received hollywood homicide which was not well received charlie's angels full throttle which was not well received um, and then Terminator 3, which was well-received to the extent that, that, oh, that wasn't as terrible as I was expecting. Yeah. So by the time this comes out, it is very well-positioned to, you know, basically...
Hope you guys have been talking. I haven't. I've been wondering if my audio just went out. No, you said <laughs> you said basically, and then it just. Oh, I'm sorry. So basically, this one was in a position to, you know, it blow up, and it yeah. did. It, you know, without going to epic detail, the film made 46 million on its first Friday to Sunday weekend, 73 million over the Wednesday Thursday Wednesday Sunday debut, which was very good. Then it dropped something. It did like 33 million in its second uh, Friday to Sunday weekend, and you know it it, it held very well because the word of mouth was spectacular in a pretty big and, summer. Like there's a lot of like yeah. stuff coming out. Like like Bad Boys Two comes out the week after. And yeah, it's like it's a lot of but hits. For the rest of the summer, this is basically the all audiences, all quadrants, fantasy tenpole by you know of choice by default. Bad Boys 2 is a very R-rated picture. Um, you know, American American Wedding is its own thing. Freddy versus Jason is obviously playing to a specific fan base. I like SWAT, but it's not quite the same kind of movie. It's why you're so not. <laughs> um, and that was also a big hit, by the way, relatively speaking. Yeah. But just in terms of this was <laughs> the one you've been waiting for, and you know, like the Dark Knight in summer 2008, sort of the last of these kind of films to really deliver for the rest of the summer. So it's got relatively clear sailing. One of my, we just went over one of my favorite bits where they're just in the little boat and you're walking on the beach and they're like, okay, so they're going to steal the boat. And then they're just all the way underwater and they're still walking with the boat in their hands. Yeah. <laughs> it's nonsense. So it's amazing uh, when I watch this to prep for this, like how minimal this movie actually is. It's like sneakily, minimal with like being a big movie with like a lot of boats and then like going places and returning to the places which we mentioned would be like a repetitive there's like a cavern there's boats there's like a town like it's there's a lot of docks but it's it's pretty pretty fascinating it's economical uh, impressive what they've done it's like very economical yeah, yeah. for a movie of this um, i mean I mean, shooting I mean, on the water is tough as hell, and I'm yeah, sure that yeah. that's, that's a lot. I mean, the money's on the screen, but yeah. you're right. There's There are large portions of this film that are just the two of them on a boat. Yeah. And that's not a criticism because it's compelling. Here's a trailer shot. It's a value in terms of character development. But, you know, this isn't... Of, uh, Terry Gilliam to this movie, I'm sort of realizing as I'm watching it a little bit. I wonder if he would have been an option to direct at any point because he was doing fairly well for a second there after... 12 monkeys. He probably, yeah, if he's having done Munchausen, would he and Time Bandage, would not. this have been something he'd have wanted to go back to? Or well, maybe it just reminds me of him in terms of yeah. I think he'd be against Disney on principle. Yeah, that's probably. Yeah. The Johnny Depp thing is really interesting. You guys are talking about out of uh, Nick of Time, which I only mm -hmm. saw once and I don't remember, but it's a solid, it's a solid, it's a little solid thriller bad. that um, almost plays in real time. That I just like, it's got. Uh, walking being yeah. evil and it's 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 a cool little movie like i mean i was there for it opening weekend at the video store but um <laughs> i i really i saw it and i was like oh this is awesome and i begged and begged and begged for it and i'm pretty sure i might be the reason it got a blu-ray because i talked to the right people and all of a sudden it came out <laughs> it came out like six months later so um and i did my due diligence i did diligence i bought it day one um Good. But it's a, it's a cool little movie. Like probably three star, right? Like this. Here's the worst it, bit of CG in this movie. It's one of the most boring Johnny Depp performances, uh, even yep. from that for that time. But it's just a. I liked I liked the movie enough. It's trying to play him as just a regular Joe, but 
I, I like the movie. It seems some... like a challenge to him. That's probably why he took it. I don't get yeah. to play yeah. that very well, often. As Scott said, he, he, yeah, he's box office poison before this movie, but he also was someone who, you know, he appears first and he comes out of 21 Jump Street and it's like every man in the world goes, oh, this guy's a pretty boy. Yeah. Like right. Then yeah. he does Edward Scissorhands and everyone's like, oh, this guy can Too actually. Too ugly. Act. Can't stand him. <laughs> yeah, except that's, no, it's true. He I... was a very, very beautiful man, Johnny Depp. And, and so, but then all through the 90s, and the reason I saw Nick of Time was because he may have been boxed up as poison, but almost everything he chose to do was good. Yeah. He was in a series of just fantastic movies in the 90s. And I wonder if just the good will from it, it's Ed Wood and it's um, yes. Dead Man, the Jim Jarmusch yeah. movie. He was so good in so yeah, many he's movies. A, he's a contemporary he's a guy that it comes with steam. Yeah. And Donnie there, Brasco where... was pretty popular before. Donnie Brasco was pretty genuine. He, wasn't, he yes. wasn't a star yet. No, People no. Didn't yeah. to appreciate how great he was until all of a sudden the timing of this movie, it's like, oh, we yeah. like that Johnny Depp is a real actor and he has fun and he's almost like Peter Sellers yeah. in this but movie. But this, this is only one of many he had at this point. Like, I mean, Ed Wood is my favorite performance of his to the sure, same, so one of my all... favorite performances of all time. But like, I'd seen him do this before, but this was, even though I'd seen him do this a I mean, bunch of this one. Thompson, speaking of Terry Gilliam, that was a few years before this, right? Fear of yeah. Loathing is the most out there. Yeah. You know, but I loved it. And so I would have been there for just for Johnny Depp. But I mean, you see the same thing five years later with Robert Downey Jr., a guy who'd been putting in yes. stuff like great all the yeah. time. Then all of yep, a sudden Iron exactly. Man, well, we all love him. I'm like, did you not even <laughs> see Zodiac like it's a year before? Him, yeah. Yeah, perfect role, and this is the perfect. I, I mean, I would yeah. say, like, I do think Downey Jr. There are certain things that he does repeatedly. I mean, I hear what you're saying with like he certainly played Depp's certainly played weird. Would you say he's done this specifically before? Like you mentioned, Fear and Loathing. Like, there's a menace to that character that's rough to a degree. I mean, to Benicio more, but like, there's a there's a danger there. Like, this guy doesn't seem dangerous. He's you know, goofy. But he seems no, but it's a, uh, it's a wild like a eccentric. Yeah. Like but, but wild eccentric has layers. Like, you hear what I'm saying? Like wild eccentric has layers. Like, I, I'm not denying that he's played weirdos or what have you. I'm just trying, I'm trying to think of like if there's something I mean, about this. If there's something strange. about this, obviously it's a blockbuster that's marketed a certain way. But there's just something about this that specifically makes it stand out more. I mean, this used um, Gilbert Grape. What else did he do in the nineties? Like everything was. Well, Gilbert Grape's not a thing. That's like that's why I'm saying pirates. Like he's he's doing a career thing. He's like doing what like. Adam Driver's doing, but without having the Star Wars is what he's doing in the 90s. Like yeah. he's just choosing to work with interesting people, playing characters that allow him to go just like wild. Yeah. And it and it ends ends up leading to him getting this, which will drive him for like a yeah. decade. A decade, of, yeah. I don't know if Bridges stuff. is considered as, was ever considered a star like this, but he was the same thing where every movie he made was good. He just wasn't a star. This is through the 70s, the 80s. He was never a star until True Grit, really. People finally appreciated Jeff Bridges. And it was a similar kind of a thing where you're like, he, yeah. the reason he's box office poison is because he has interesting taste, which is yeah. a bitter thing to have to know about the movies, but it's true. Um, yeah. And to a certain extent, this was at least a little bit cashing in on the goodwill of Sleepy Hollow, which was oh, yeah. a rare populist blockbuster. I mean, it's an R-rated horror film, but it's it's crowd-pleasing that was successful. And what it was, was him yeah. sort of playing a heroic lead, but a little off-kilter because it's Depp and he's not going to do anything you know conventional. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're someone that knows Johnny Depp, maybe just from osmosis, or you've only seen Edward Scissorhands, maybe Johnny Brasco probably... Sleepy Hollow and 21 Jump Street, then to you, this performance is even more of a revelation. 
Yeah. yeah. Because whatever similarities it might have to Fear and Loathing, you probably didn't see Fear and Loathing. So Nobody saw Ed Wood. Right. It's all like new that, to you. Yeah. Um, and so it really does... I mean, everything about this performance, I mean, he was nominated for a Best Actor Oscar, and offhand, I would have been fine with him winning that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I always say this, I'd rather movie, you know, stars like this win for roles like this versus, like, when he's 80 yeah. years old and playing a dying literature professor who has a platonic relationship with a 20-year-old hot female <laughs> student. You know, because exactly. unfortunately, that's probably how Tom Cruise is going to win an Oscar. That sucks. Well, the thing is with this, too, but, like, in the Oscars thing, when when they do something like this, that'll get people to tune into the Oscars because they like this movie. They yeah. liked him in this role. They're rooting for Johnny, and they they want to see him win. And this is like the kind of like this is the kind of like nomination that can add viewers to the Oscars. Yeah. And you know, this was the year when you know the film that was winning all the awards was that art house flick. Uh, fuck, what's it called? Return of the King. Yeah. Oh, I heard um, of that. Yeah, but they had no acting noms. So it's like who's going no, no, there? No, and but 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 like Mystic River was actually a hit. I mean, it was a, pretty, yeah, yeah, it was a yeah, big yeah. hit yeah. for a movie like that. Back when films like that made money, were viable. It's like you know everybody you know one of many reasons that the 2022 Oscars were just a shit show, which like you had everybody making fun of all these unpopular movies. Like fuck you if you people still showed up at the movies, then yes, movies like West Side Story and Nightmare Alley and Doom, right. relatively speaking would be hits the movies didn't change you stopped showing up mm-hmm. yeah for sure um but anyway my man you know, it's not like, you know, one of the 96 oscars where they were nominating stuff like quality notwithstanding you know you know shine or secrets and lies or whatever um but nobody makes good movies anymore <laughs> no you only went and saw ant-man quantumania this year yeah um when i stop after january i don't know i just ran out of money <laughs> um this sorry sir go ahead go ahead no you're i the, the it's um, again it's the I language think this it's, film it's, does a very good job of our you know having her be headstrong and 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 conventionally empowering without her oh she's badass because she has a sword and has an action scene and punches somebody she is a damsel in this scene and the film never or in this movie and the film never really walks that back. But, she, you know, the, because she is a character of character, you know, it's how she you know, deals with the situation in a more compelling way than just I have a sword and I tried to escape six times. Well, it's the thing that Elliot and Rossio do in a lot of their scripts where they just subvert yep. expectations so often. Yeah. Like they, you know, they play into uh, the tropes while also doing their own thing where you have this movie where she's only here by circumstance, but she's not technically supposed to be here. They think she's somebody she's not. Yes. And her her line, again, I joke that she's a thief and the dirty one at that uh, early on, but I mean, that's informing who her character is. She's not the person that's the standard, you know, Son of the governor, son, the daughter of the gov the of the governor. She's the one that has more in line within her future. That and, apple know, doesn't make a, sense. It's a Granny Smith. There's a deleted the scene. <laughs> there's a deleted scene, and it's not really necessary. But where you know Depp or Sparrow comes right and says, "Like, hey, uh, you didn't tell the army about those undead pirates, did you?" It's like, yeah, you're willing to get all these people murdered just to save your boyfriend. Cool. You and I aren't that different. And there's a certain amorality in this in this picture that, again, I think makes it stand out from the crowd. Um, 
the 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 DVD has a commentary track from the two Rusio and, and and yeah, Elliot, and it's very good, by the way. Yeah, um, not as good as this one, of course. But <laughs> there's like um, four commentaries on this fucking yeah. and they, <laughs> they do a talk a lot about the ways in which they subvert expectations, like slightly skipping ahead, where you know Will doesn't get to her until after she's already at her you know bidden quote unquote you know blood has been shed. You know, if they were planning on killing her, then she would have been dead before she got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is, you know, there are a lot of ways, you're right, in which this this film does, you know, go plays by the book, but sort of jots with in between the lines and on the outside of the pages in a way that makes it stand out from a stereo, even then, from a stereotypical blockbuster movie. Um, and again, I think the ways in which films that were trying to capitalize on this picture's success, a lot of them from Disney, frankly, you know, John Carter, uh, Battleship, uh, uh, Prince of Persia, they were formulaic and generic in a way that this film was not. Hmm. If for no other reason that the female lead is basically the star of the movie, which is something that I think even the the people at Disney that were, you know, that, that they produced the would-be knockoffs kind of forgot. The biggest mistake of Prince of Persia was that they didn't hire Ted Elliott and Terry Russo to like write it. It's like why? Yeah. Like that's that seems like that's that's the way you should go with that movie. But um, um and from a structural point of view, you know, the one big problem with Prince of Persia, and there are many, yeah. Jake Dillenthal <laughs> is basically playing Jack Sparrow and Will Turner in the same character, which makes him incredibly obnoxious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it does. Um, it works in a video game. It yeah. doesn't work in, in this in that movie. Um and, Can you imagine if that was a hit? There was three Prince of Persia movies. Christ, Jake Gyllenhaal just what's still <laughs> putting on the on the brown makeup so he could go back to being the Prince of Persia. That age well, it's twenty seventeen. He's he's back. It's the Prince of Persia, Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, I don't know if you guys talked about Rush too much while I was out, but um, I think Rush is great in this. I don't think that's a controversial opinion. No, he's a like, good pirate. He's perfect. Like he comes in, and you're like, oh yeah, this makes sense. He like, he does. does. Yeah, and yeah. he's having so much fun. Yet, he, and this is great too when you realize, like, oh yeah, they're all they're all skeleton people. Um, mm-hmm. But but um, this he is would, something the ride doesn't offer that it takes it beyond the ride, and you're like, oh, yes. and it fits. It feels natural. So. Mm-hmm. Sorry to jump in there. No, you're fine. But they they this. hire on Rush because he's a, 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 a normal actor who Verbinski knows won't like do a bunch of bits in the way that Depp's going to do to like test every aspect of what his character could be. He's someone they can you know rely on to be a kind of a solid presence and just be the villain. But he's a fun villain. Like he Rush has an energy that I think really. I mean, that's see, this is something yeah. out of like a musical when they're. Yeah, pushing her yeah. up like this that. Someone would be afraid to put in a movie nowadays. Yeah, because it's wacky. Um, <laughs> there's no, there's be no like, weird outward. and wacky. It's great. There's no out. The film is very patient in terms of revealing this reveal. We're yeah, you get a, you, the movie. You get a hint at it early on, but yeah, yeah. like now mm-hmm. we're like, oh, this, the, all of them, sort <laughs> of like this. Yeah. Um, and you know. To whatever extent they were banking on this reveal to be the reason why this film wouldn't go the way of Cutthroat Island or whatever, you know, the picture is certainly engrossing on its own when it just seems like a pirate movie. Yeah. You know, the, the class example is, you know, a Latin works because it's great even before the genie shows up. 
um, I and, think you know, I, performance here is informed a bit by Depp, it seems, because he's going pretty, pretty far mincy himself and sort of knowing sort of delivery and stuff. He's pretty, I feel like he must have been aware of Depp, where Depp was going because he's, he's pitched pretty high too, and it works beautifully, I think. Like he's a perfect foil. I think it's just, I, I don't deny that it's possible, but like because they're just not together in the way that, like, for example, Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey are sharing every screen, every scene together. Where they have, you know, they so one's delivery trying to match the energy of the other. I think it's just Rush <laughs> just being him, kind of his doing his thing as he because he's that kind of actor. As far as if he's going to play a hammy villain, he knows how to play hammy and the writing. Oh, well. I think it kind of informs it. <laughs> Again, like it's just because they're not really together much in this movie. Like I don't know how much Rush really knew about what was going to go on with all this. Yeah, not like you know, it's not like Rush. Rush is like, hey, can I see the dailies from Depp scenes? Like, I don't. Well, that's credit to Rominsky as a director. Like, hmm. really yeah, this is I, the I, kind of buffoonery I can sanction. I think it's just that, but I mean, it's the tone of this movie as a whole, right? I mean, look at the other pirate characters that are on his side. Like, they're just they're they're all they're all kind of just purposely nutso since they're you know undead zombies. Like that's their, yeah. that's their deal. There's a scab on Johnny Depp's face. Yep, undead too at this point. What? Sorry. Were you thinking the first time that was Johnny Depp a skeleton too? No, because we've seen him in the moonlight. Wasn't he also? He he wasn't. On no, the he ship. avoided it. Yeah. No, but there's that scene where he's in the jail and he puts the arm through and it becomes a sure. the yeah. skeleton thing. Yeah. Um. Like there's certain you know obviously we're asking ourselves questions like what's the deal with the curse obviously like how what's the parameters of this with the movie's gonna. Out. Here's Zoe de Zaldana um, <laughs> enter, entering her first stage of I'm going to be one of the queens of box office-dom. Yeah. I was trying to think, who is like the woman with the highest box office? Probably like Carrie Fisher. She, right, it might be her. It might be her Johansson now. By default. Johansson's another good oh, call, yeah. Saldana, Just because she's in more Marvel movies, frankly. Yeah, but Saldana has... <laughs> This and Avatar, yeah, five billion dollars worth of Avatar <laughs> pictures. But that, but I think like like Carrie Fisher has to be high up there, which is with Star Wars, Star Wars alone. Oh yeah, I guess she was because she was in two of the three. Well, I guess she was in. She's in a lot of them. <laughs> She's in a good majority of them. So <laughs> Natalie Portman's probably high in there. Thank you, Mars Attacks. Exactly yeah. because of Mars, ah. because of Mars Attacks, and where the heart is. Um, you were talking about movies that you thought were going to be huge and weren't and took it personally or whatever. That, for me, that was Mars Attacks. Oh, it wasn't oh, where the heart is? I thought that's where it was going. It. <laughs> it, was... it was not for everyone, but I loved Mars Attacks too. Right? Oh, I was, yeah, big Burton guy. We've, oh, Brandon, yeah. we talked about that on another show yep. you did. <laughs> so. We talked about that. Scott and I have talked about that. Um, yeah, Mars Attacks. You're not going to find me putting down Mars Attacks. Have you done a commentary uh, on and no, the brand but the... on the Colt Cinema Cavalcade we talked Col about. Yeah, that and then we did a Burton retrospective last year and Scott and I, I talked remember. about it. Right, so we're talking about actresses, big box office. I'd say like Karen Gillan's building up and yeah, Jumanji and um, oh, yeah, and, and the Guardians and uh, Marvel stuff. And um, Sigourney Weaver's got Avatar. Sigourney comes back with Avatar now, yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's put it this way. If all five Avatar movies cleared $2 billion, Zoe Zaldana is going to be the champion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at this point, I would not put that. Uh, yeah. No, you know who else, though? Uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah. 
at fast at fast, fast franchise plus, and plus one avatar plus an avatar plus some you know even resident evils you can throw those in there yeah. <laughs> resident evils anyway, is so. interesting because we were talking a minute ago about you know were pirate movies poison or just you know didn't no one ever really do them all that much and i was doing research back when the last resident evil the final chapter came out and it's like one reason why the first film was a moderate success is because it was like the first mainstream zombie movie from you know Hollywood anyway in like twenty years. Yeah. I mean, it was just new by virtue of being a big budget zombie movie. Let alone the video game stuff and the you know the fisticuffs you know and the, the sci fi action. It's a post Matrix was... action sci fi yeah. thing with zombies. There's a lot of ingredients as to why that yeah. sparked the right way. Slipknot on the soundtrack, of course, that just gets people going. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh. that's some real scale here these film this film does sort of personify the 2000s in terms of you know the kind of mega budget all quadrant global box office juggernaut fantasy franchise blockbusters that for better or worse kind of took over hollywood in the 2000s yeah because you know when you're when you're jerry bruckheimer and you're making movies like the rock that are amazing if they do 350 and then you make this which does 650 why you know i mean to a certain extent well why go back to the other one and it um, epitomizes where we're at as a yeah as a hollywood yeah, spider-man where, shrek harry potter lord of the rings because Pirates. now it's everything's one brand or the other one's marvel or yeah. one's dc <laughs> now it's like let's just throw our hands in a bunch of different hats and you know we got yeah. our harry potters we got these we have bonds we have batman uh, and yeah. because of that, I, think that I, I don't see how that idea could have hurt movies that much. If you're telling me the well, movie I'm seeing is going to be crowded out a lot of other stuff. You know, we saw, I just, I just never bought that saw that fewer mid to low budget rom-coms, programmers, thrillers, yada, yada, yada. And it sort of eventually by the end of the 2000s was very much skewing the conversation about, you know, on-screen diversity at least from a gender point of view because when you're still making movies like something to talk about or practical magic or uh you know the river wild who gives a shit if a woman can headline a batman movie but when all you're making right. are batman movies you know like that's a problem yeah uh I mean, this we just missed it, 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 but blockbuster have been the order of the day for 25 years already i mean big yeah. blockbusters were the but you were still making other movies in a way that you started to make less of in this era, and now you make even less of. You know, by the time all oh, Feig's Ghostbusters reboot, remake, whatever you want to call that, is announced in 2014, it's like, okay, this is cynical as hell, but where else are talented female actresses slash comedians going to go anymore? Yeah. So this is all they got. Well, well, I would say, and if that's true, then I would say this movie at least, and the other ones you mentioned, the Harry Potters and the Lord of the Rings, represent the last gasp of classical filmmaking. Is this really sure. feels like a, mm -hmm. this, this is a big adventure movie like you would have seen for the 50 years before it, generally. And now I think movies feel very different than this. So, well, you know. Well, well, there's a shot not, on film. And, and <laughs> a yeah. lot, it has to do a lot of practical, and it, marry, yeah. it marries practical and digital. Like, and well, use digital when it should, and it doesn't waste time, you know, and here for backgrounds to blot out cities in the background and then to do the skeleton pirates. But otherwise, 
it feels like you're out on the ocean with these people, mm-hmm. and that feels good when you're watching a movie. I mean, there are oh, used to not, be the capital not, of making movies of, of being a hit when you gave them an experience like this. Certainly not denying that that's not what it is now, but there are certainly grasps at trying to bring that back. Whether it's what Tom Cruise is doing with McClory constantly, or even looking at John Wick, which was a gi- giant hit last year, of course, and just like pirate and, movies and, back. If it works, and, it works. Good mm-hmm. is good, and this kind of movie will always succeed. Like I said, like Indiana Jones, if you can make. Like we were saying, I think Scott called it a fantasy picture earlier. And I'm like, it's light fantasy, right? It has that element of the skeletons, but similar to Indiana Jones, it's not a hardcore, there's not like flying historical fantasy. Yeah, but it's light. And this kind of, if you can get this kind, if you can nail this kind of laughs plus good action, this is what you want. This is what everybody wants to see. Everybody and their grandmother wants to see this, you know? And again, it's it's, it's really the fault of the movie, the trendsetters for the trends that follow. You know, we don't, you know, we don't really, we shouldn't really blame Jaws and Star Wars for the right. B movie becoming the A movie. And, you know, we don't really blame Batman for the total domination of IP as a means no. of success, yada, yada, yada. But nor can we deny what followed as a result. Yeah, but you 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 blame the individual people that made those choices. You blame the head of Warner Brothers. You blame the head of Disney. You blame those guys for the ones you're doing. Right, but you can. You, it doesn't take anything away from the achievement of the original Star Wars to say that yes. it also inspired some negative things. And I feel like what we've got now is this: is the cows coming home from that original. Whatever people were afraid of with Star Wars taking over, it didn't really set in until the last ten or fifteen years, where it's just all. At least on top, all sort of because it became easier to make that thing, to or make a version of that thing. Like you because could, you, when you, you because the ten years Star Wars, though, was still new Hollywood people making these movies. They just were making different mm-hmm. kinds of movies. You know, they were making big fantasy movies, like Conan or whatever. But yeah, but people still... that don't care about that now can just produce a version of that that they think works because it's easier now. It's you know, it's, it's not exactly mm-hmm. a western where you can just churn out stuff for whatever money, but you can still just say, yeah, two hundred million, let's do this and slap some people on it like that. From a business perspective, that's it just yeah. becomes well, and uh, the DVD boom in right in this exact era made a film like this comparatively less risky than it would be today. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You, you, know, you, you mentioned you the box office for from this. doubling. Yeah. You mentioned you could, the box office for this movie is on video. Yeah, it sold 11 million copies or another $235 million. Yeah, that's after making, <laughs> yeah, that's after making $650 worldwide on a 140 budget. Uh-huh. And because you had a vibrant post theatrical afterlife and because yeah. marketing wasn't quite as expensive as it is now, you could, you know, you know, rule of thumb in terms of theatrical profitability was double, you know, twice your budget as opposed to now where it's closer to triple for a big movie. Because marketing is so expensive and you cannot bank on really anything after theatrical to fill the coffers. Just to um, make a mark on where we are right now, this is one of the first of many scenes of Jack intrudes on something Barbosa is doing and gets caught. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this will be, I think this is like three times this happens. Yeah. You know, we, we're you talking about like the things, one of the things that back in this era too, if you picked up a director sort of qualified, there, there was a lot more about knowing like craft a film. Like this is before we get into a lot more digital and anyone can make movies mm-hmm. uh, type thing. So someone like your Burbinsky is classically tra- Like he knows he's generally, most of these people will have a big knowledge of how to shoot something like this or cinematographers and stuff. And they're not learning on the fly, getting picked up from these little indies and tossed in here. Sure. So that that helps 
and he's transcending at this point to direct something like this. Who shot oh, Darius oh. Wolski? Okay, well, yeah. right. yeah. Rubinsky would be you know, probably aware of like John Ford in his mind. I don't think the modern Rubinsky. version. Yeah, he he knows what he's doing. He's a yeah. old school filmmaker. And generally speaking, at this point, a films of the size and scale weren't as frequent, so the opportunities to direct them were scarcer. Ergo, you weren't necessarily going to you know throw the keys to some untested sundance darling because you didn't have to you could hire a craftsman like john turtle dub who could at least deliver on the fundamentals um or you know you'd have a situation like okay you want burton to do batman awesome let's make sure beetlejuice isn't a piece of shit first and because hollywood still made beetlejuice you know you, you these filmmakers would have a place to go between their breakout whatever and being given a huge, huge picture. And now that's incredibly rare. I mean, the Creed franchise almost by by default is sort of filling in the gap in terms of giving promising, you know, black, promising indie filmmakers a middle step between the breakout movie and the franchise blockbuster that they may or may not direct next. Hmm. Um and to state the obvious, one reason why Black Panther is as good as it is because Ryan Coogler got to make Creed in between Fruitvale Station and Black Panther. Exactly. And but when you don't make the middle movie, there's there's nothing you know there's no middle movie for Josh Trank to make between uh, Chronicle and Fantastic Four. Well, Colin Trevorrow between. But irony, you know, ironically. I you know I would say he was a success story in terms of you know Jurassic World is a pretty good blockbuster. I know we all like to bag on it now, but I mean in terms of fundamentals it does the job. It is competent, it is well acted, it is colorful as hell, it is nuts and bolts three stars solid. It comes down to what's in your corner also. You have a movie where Spielberg's you know picking you out of the out of the lineup and saying you do this thing oh, yeah. for me. I mean that's going to help. You pick you know you pick a couple guys um or or women um uh, for like the marvel thing and it's like you can you know direct the actors we have everybody else doing the other work for you like there's no there's no quote-unquote training aspect of there right yeah. there's nothing that's get like, allowing them to get their feet wet and more of the stuff that's required of them um yeah and i i think we've also seen a situation where even films that should be directed by nuts and bolts craftsmen like you know the meg 2 end up going to you know art house indie directors and they don't always work. Meanwhile, the Rennie Harlins and John Turtletubs of the world, or theoretically the next generation of what could be that, are scrounging for work in the VOD era. I like to think John well, Turtletub would be very flattered to be compared yeah. to Rennie Harlan. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Though. I know what you mean, but I still want yeah. I want him to hear that and yeah. be like, I am like a Rennie Harlan. Well, <laughs> hey, the, 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 me, the thing, John Turtletop. The thing you know, is, Philip like, Noyce or, you know, whatever. Noyce. Noyce. Um, the, you said they give them the art house directors, but then they don't let them be art house directors with these things, too. That's the, that's the wild thing. You pick up this inner, this guy with an interesting vision hook or, or thing, and you don't let them go and play. Yeah, that's you know, you, you want of, them. You, you're like, can you be John Turtletop, please? It's part like, of, wait, it's, why it's part of why I was so disappointed with the, with the Meg too. Ben Wheatley has a very distinct mm -hmm. kind of way of handling things, and none of that's present in that movie. Yeah, you get the worst of both worlds. Yeah, because you don't have a distinct filmmaker voice, and you don't have what I would argue is the nuts and bolts studio competence of the guy that made the first two National Treasures and the Sorcerer's Apprentice and Cool Runnings and all that stuff. Green Ninjas. You know, 
I'm sorry. Kickback. Three, three ninjas and. Uh... Oh right, of course, obviously. And doesn't he have? He has one of those like Grisham movies or something, doesn't he? Doesn't he have one of those? I would be shocked if he doesn't. Turtle top. Yeah, turtle top. It's it's something. Like, it's, it's like, wait, is it the one with um Connery? Um, that's not a Grisham, but it like instinct. Oh, just cause or oh no, in- instinct or something. Let me look. Let me look. Oh, John. I think that's bad. Instinct was. Uh, Hopkins, that's, that's Anthony Hopkins. That's Anthony Hopkins. It is Anthony Hopkins. It is. It is instinct. He did do instinct. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins and Cuba Gooding. Yeah. It's. It's not a Grisham, but it's like in that like psychological yeah, yeah. thriller. Yeah. No, it's not a courtroom drama, but you know, I mean, it's you know, adult adult adult, adult drama yeah. stuff yeah. that appeals in mass audience. Yeah. Um. Also, it flopped, but still. And this is the first time that they really get to interact, uh, Depp and, and Rush. Uh huh. Um, trailer line, and this is you know, and this isn't a criticism, this is a very strange scene where we've reached what was supposed to be sort of the climax of the movie, but we're halfway through, and the thing that they wanted to happen didn't happen. They're like, well, What the fuck do we do now? I mean, it's not necessary. I mean, I mean, if you want to like keep going on Star Wars, I mean, like they all you know, they all meet up at the Death Star at one yeah. point, then they leave. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a it's a it's a mid movie. Kind of like we need to reestablish what the stakes are. And, yeah, you know, re- and again, flip, flip the board a little it works. Bit. I hear you. I I think yeah. this scene makes sense to me. It's more when we get because we're gonna get more of Jack and Barbosa are like dealing with how to be in each other's presence before we then go away again. Then we get back to that again. Like it's a, it's an oddly structured movie in that regard. Like having it once, fine. Having it more than once, we'll see. Bloom. Um, Obviously, a lot of people could go after this role. It's the young lead. Um, so we have Toby Maguire, Jude Law, Ewan McGregor, Ben Payton, who is on, I believe, some like BBC series, um, Christopher Masterson, uh, by default, one of the best Mastersons, uh, <laughs> Christian, Christian Bale, uh, Heath Ledger, which makes a ton of sense, and uh, Tom Hiddleston additioned, apparently, as well. Yeah, I let the the Americans amuse me having Tobey Maguire be like, yeah, I'll be in a Pirates, but that's a, that's fun. That's a... I, I love the Pirates. <laughs> I, I'm busy breaking my back for Spider Man, but sure, <laughs> put me in a fucking Pirates movie. <laughs> like, yeah, please give me that script. So, uh, and then uh, Jill and Hall's like, if Toby doesn't want it, I'll yeah, Toby, yeah, he's he's right behind. Him. <laughs> Heath Ledger seems oh. like a, probably the closest thing. Like Heath Ledger seems like he was probably yeah. busy. Like that, that that makes the most sense in my eyes. As good as he is, and I think he's terrific in The Patriot, I think he would almost have... Been, I mean, I think Orlando Bloom sells the underdog aspect better than Ledger might have. Because yeah, Ledger is I don't think of Ledger as... Person. Ledger doesn't bumble. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, uh, Will has to... You know, he's not... He's not, I don't know. He, he's not walking into rakes and stuff but like he still has there's a sense of humor to him that i don't ledger would have too much brooding energy to it not that he's incapable like he'd probably try to bring it to some degree but like it i can believe will you know the the will turner we have here in the hands of him and i mean same with bale bale would be too intense (laughs) unless he's really bringing out the you know the swing kids energy or something but you know if this needs to be said he is spectacular in this film they both are and again, I, I keep beating this point because I think it's something that's been lost then and now is that, you know, they are a huge reason why this picture works as well as it does. You know, they are terrifically charismatic 
romantic leads that have wonderful chemistry together. We want them, to, we immediately want them to be together. We are have rooting interest in their mutual success. In and again, you know, that's the kind of thing you should be able to take for granted in a movie like this, but Prince Persia. Um, <laughs> you know, again, not everybody can do this kind of swashbuckling daring do like an Orlando Bloom or a Brendan Fraser. And I think, you know, I mean, again, Orlando Bloom is doing fine. He's married to Katy Perry, for God's sakes. But I do, you know, I do think he was underrated in terms of a leading man and his, his post, well, really his post Lord of the Rings career. He did a bunch of roles that looked good on paper that any idiot would have said yes to that didn't quite pan out for one reason or another. And by the mid 2000s, he was Mark Hamill, basically, ironically, or not. Um, But he is very good in this picture. And I think, again, one reason why it works is that it doesn't let Jack Sparrow take over the movie. It keeps him as a very present supporting character. It gives credit to like the the cast in general seem to know like what they're doing here too. Like Depp, yeah. like Depp is for all the antics that you want to call them that Depp puts in display. He doesn't seem like a person that wants to specifically hog the spotlight. He wants to do the best job he wants to do. But I, I don't see him as a person that feels greedy about capturing the screen in the same way that other actors no. that certainly like to take up a lot of camera room can. He seems like a guy who's like, I'm doing the job. I, I'm very dedicated to, you know, my hats and wigs and makeup and all that stuff. But I'm still like, I'm here to be I'm here, here to be part of the team. I mean, you know, without getting into his off-screen behavior of late, Depp very rarely phones it in on screen. You know, whether we like Mordecai or not, he is making very specific choices. He is, you know, he is playing a specific character that isn't just, ha-ha, look at the funny mustache. And, you know, it's the same thing with Alice in Wonderland. Do I like that movie? Not particularly. But he is very much making choices beyond just put Johnny Depp in a funny wig and have him be an approximation of the Mad Hat. It's annoying how much pathos he brings to that fucking movie. <laughs> like he's yeah. trying, he's doing a lot yeah. that that works, except for the fucking end when he's doing that dance or whatever the hell. Yeah, <laughs> but he, he like he has the sadness to him that care as the Mad Hatter. It's like I can't, I can't hate all of this. I hate most of it. But I can't hate all of this. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, you know, he is, and frankly, I would argue, I mean, I haven't seen him in anything particularly big in a very long time, but I don't know to the extent that he ever actually stopped being a good actor. Regardless of whether we think he's still a good person. No, that's, yeah, well, that's that's fair. You can certainly say he, 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 he coasted a bit on on certain things. I mean, you look at, like, Secret Window becoming a big hit just because, hey, Johnny Depp's in it a year later. It's like... The, the oh, that was like factor. months. That was like months later. Like that was months. like very early 2004. Yeah, and once upon a time in Mexico, I would argue, opened and played a little bit bigger than expected because it was his first big post post pirates role. That's another. Very, that's a perfect oh, example of how he's not taking up too much room. Where he's playing a yeah, very exactly. specific and a very eccentric character. Yeah, but he also just wanted to hang out. Like he's literally yeah. has a second role in that movie because. They couldn't get the guy, so he just like Robert. Can I be this character? And he plays. He puts on like a a beard and does a Brando accent for a scene because yeah. why not? Like he just wanted to have fun. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's he's doing the you know even in a, a film like this as much as the performance has become you know cliche over the years for one reason or another, it really is he's he's doing work. 
And I would argue he never really stopped doing the work, regardless of everything else going on. I like that we do get a lot of like pirate and ship stuff in this movie that yes. feels pretty well communicated as to like what's going on. Like we're in a literally a boat chase right now, and there's like we got to lighten the load, we got to do all these things, we got to do this and that. Like there's a and it's and it feels clear to me. Like I don't feel like I need to you know have a better grip on how stuff works where the movie's just doing the job of explaining it to me. Also, well, they're like not overcut. Yeah. It's not overcut, and I think it's because it's because it's a period piece. It's allowed to not be overcut for some reason. Similar to Lord of the Rings, which is not really a period piece, but people were sort of accepting of, oh, we're going to go and do these sort of adventure movies again. And then, well, well, I don't think they're necessarily all that similar. I think one thing that Pirates of the Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean shares with Lord of the Rings is that there's a certain authenticity that almost makes us feel like as you know historical fiction. Yeah. Like I said, um, historical I mean, fantasy. And, I'm telling you, yeah, it's the right genre. <laughs> but you know, I, I think one variable is that you remember to make it feel historical, especially when you have a film like this, in which takes place in the real world with fantastical elements. It still feels like a time and place that actually existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And if this needs to be said, and obviously we don't because we're all sitting here talking about it, this is a spectacular piece of blockbuster filmmaking. And I used to say, and I still would say, is that, you know, if you can't tell the difference between Pirates of the Caribbean and Prince of Persia, you don't deserve Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Good call. And I know I keep bagging on Prince of Persia, but that to me is such an obvious example of trying to cash in on the success of this film, but completely not getting or not caring about the specific variables of why this film was successful. You know, and we saw that with a lot of the Harry Potter knockoffs. Um, You know, Percy Jackson, you know, which is also directed by Chris Columbus, the first one anyway, it's like a checklist of everything that could have gone wrong with Harry Potter, but didn't. Are they both directed by Chris Columbus? Who did the second one? Uh, I don't know, but I didn't want to assume. The like, second Harry Potter? Or? The second Percy Jackson. Oh, the Percy Jackson. Yes. Oh. Did he come back? Let's see here. Trying to remember, there was a second movie, or yeah, the Sea Mon- the, the Sea of Monsters. No, it's the Tor Freudenthal. Oh, uh, Tor! Oh, right, Tor. Yeah, who did unforgettable? Um, what's his name? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. number of TV things, but he did um, Hotel for Dogs, of course, and the Diary of a Wimpy List for Kids. <laughs> yes, and it slowly dawned on you that I'm right. <laughs> no, you've yeah, said it before. It's just still funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. And you know, it's 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 a credit to this film that this scene really only exists because there needed to be a ship on ship pirate fight because it's a fucking pirate movie, right? But it works, and it's entertaining enough that even if it's a little extraneous, who gives a shit, right? Not extreme. Yeah. I mean, it's a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. At the end of the day, yeah. you gotta have big, you got pirate movies. You gotta have big old action sequences involving pirates. Um, and this was also part of an era that, again, because it was a little safer, that there was a mentality in big blockbusters that more is more. And while that's not always a good thing, I will say that you, know, I certainly took for granted this this sense of scale and scope and and production value 
that you think you would expect on a top of the line Walt Disney $150 million movie. That's fair. Not just Disney, but that's fair. But like this stuff, there's a lot of character stuff happening here. You're for one thing, you're getting a lot of you're getting a lot of Elizabeth Swan establishing that she is, as we've mentioned, she's not just a damsel. Mm -hmm. She is very much involved in the action and not in a way that feels cliche, but more involving necessity. Uh, You need this character to be as involved because the the losing team is poor pirates. Like these these guys are Mm -hmm. barely scraping by. They're using cutlery and and their cannonballs. They have nothing else to lose. You have Jack that's dealing with the drama of his own ship being, you know, shot at or whatever. Will's stuck underground. Like there's there's a lot of stuff going on that's like, you know, um, dictating what you know where where the stakes need to be now that we're in this situation of, uh, you know, we we've gotten to a certain place where, you know, Barbosa thinks he has what he wants and Jack thinks what he has. What we got to get there. We got to understand, you know, the new rules that are in place here. Oh, and, 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 you gotta another... show, and you got to show everybody working as a team and you got to show people why these pirates are as good as they are and not just to not just have words telling you that they're you know they're pirates because they're pirates and they're good at it like you got to see a scene of them doing pirate stuff and i think something that you mentioned about you know the sheer quality of the supporting cast yeah in that because you have enough colorful characters this this sequence can play by the you know it's not called that but the peter jackson rule when he was cutting the the Battle of Helm's Deep for two towers, he basically said he never lets more than three shots go without cutting to a character that we know. That'll Ooh. certainly yeah, come okay. into play if they ever make any sequels to this movie. We'll, we'll, we'll certainly see about that. That's for sure. Crossing my fingers. <laughs> yeah. Crossing my fingers. Um, and that's something that you know it's it's a simple idea, but I think it's an incredibly important one when you're dealing with a mass battle of this nature. So it's not just a bunch of generic. You know, extras and or CGI created, you know, fighting dudes. Yeah, it's kind of why maybe certain Wolfgang Peterson movies don't work as effectively as they could. <laughs> I would agree by default. The score for this movie um, is awesome. It is awesome. It was going to be Alan Silvestri, who had worked with Verbinski a few times. Um, Bruckheimer and Ver- and uh, Silvestri didn't uh, see eye to eye on what they're doing, so he uh, left. Um, yet his name was attached in like a lot of the the credit, the posters and stuff for this movie for a long time before they finally changed it. Um, Hans Zimmer, um, busy. Last Samurai was calling him. He had to do a lot of how Last Samurai <laughs> work. That Last yeah. Samurai. Fair. Oh man, we needed we needed to get those iconic themes. That is a good score though for Last Samurai. To be yeah. fair, it's not a movie I watch very often, but it is it has good music. Uh, but, we skipped in a second act. Who are we kidding? Yeah, well, ninjas. <laughs> I, no, but I mean, but but Tom Cruise yelling whiskey or whatever he's yelling. Is he, <laughs> I think I think it's whiskey. Like he's yelling that yeah. a lot in the early on, where he's like going through withdrawals, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, Zimmer's busy, but it's Zimmer, so he has all of his underlings that work for him, much like Lupuson has all of his underlings. So Klaus Bedelt, um, who's not done a number of things, um, he gets pot on here. Uh, Zimmer still does like he gets like the themes down, like the basic idea for the themes going. Bedell does like the main compositions for the film, but there's still like seven other people that work on this thing, and then it like even more work on it just to get it done in time for release. Like it's it's a very collaborative project, um, to say the least. But Klaus Bedell becomes like the main guy for this one. Um, things perhaps change uh, later on for other movies, uh, but. But we do get yes, we get an iconic pirates theme. I you, know, you hear that music. I know what it, I know what movie we're referring to. I can't always say that these days. Not that's a make or break, but there's a very specific score for the pirates films. <laughs> I like this. You know, it's it's he's trying to do the conventional heroic thing, and it's like 
he's understandably befuddled by the very complications of the specific situation. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, like, now I'll try this. Now I'll try this. Fuck, that's not working either. Um, about the score, it's it's this film. The previews were set to the action theme from Drop Zone, which was also used in the Mask of Zorro trailer. I was going to say, it's very similar to Zorro. (laughs) Yes. And then when Mask of and Legend of Zorro, when the preview came out, that trailer used the music to this. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, incestual stuff going on with the scores and how to play up the there's only one apparently there's only one way to sell a swashbuckler which is to use a variation of this theme <laughs> even like and this is zimmer so like there are beats that feel very familiar like you can you can match the uh the stampede scene from the lion king with a lot of what's going on in the pirates movies and probably be fine so here we have a classic pirate moment of walking the plank mm-hmm. gotta have it so is you think going into this, most people's probably thoughts on a pirate movie is Peter Pan, the cartoon. Yes, you, you know that that's where that's what informs most people like what pirate stuff is. Yeah, that are like variations of Treasure of uh, Treasure Island. Yeah, because there's been like six of those at this point. Like these, you know, people, yeah. it's, like, it's a generational story. Like you know, so you know, yeah, yeah it's a book. It's a book it's a that, book that you read. You, and... Yeah. And then, like, the imagery associated with it's so clear. You know, peg legs, one eyes. Another classic piece of literature where the best movie version is the Muppet one. No way. The Disney version is fantastic. Treasure Island. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but Treasure Planet (laughs) slaps. Written by these guys. Yeah. They go better. (laughs) Um... I lost it. Peter Pan's not, I mean, because, I mean, like, Hook is a hit. Like, there's, you know, there's movies that's, you know, those are the what those do evoke piracy, obviously, and probably stick in a lot of minds. So. Hook, um, yeah. Hook and just pirate, just Peter Pan in general, you know, the various. Or, oh, like, oh, oh. This was, and this is random trivia, this was the first time a Walt Disney movie, like Walt Disney Studios, yeah, yeah, not Hollywood Pictures or whatever, had a PG-13 rating. Uh-huh. And I remember that. I, I remember would that say it out. earned it. I mean, this isn't a Lord of the Rings level carnage, but there's a lot of, you know, swashbuckling and murder and mayhem and what have you. And it never gets um, darker from here. Uh... <laughs> No, I, I remember that being a notable thing when I was kind of like in my early days of seeing movie news and stuff that I was looking into. Being like, oh, that's interesting. Like as I was trying to like build up any kind of um, anticipation for this movie, um, what did get you know, like as I said, like the idea of like ride movies, like no, thank you, like that doesn't sound like a good idea at all. What what got me randomly was seeing just the the one sheet teaser poster that's like the skeleton on the wheel, and I was like. Mm-hmm. Well, that's evocative. That's not what I said to myself, but like that's the general thought that I had in my head. Like, it's like that's it's like that's that's interesting. That uh, that, that let's see what this is. And then they, you know, putting the names on there. Like, there's talent involved in this thing. Like, I was, I, I really slowly built myself up towards like, looking forward to seeing this movie. And yeah, you have a summer that already has X two, which is the thing I was like most excited. That Matrix and, and Matrix, obviously, for 
where at least Scott and I are like, this is the best thing. Like, what <laughs> what else do you want out of this? Um, and the prospect of another Bad Boys also entry. I was like, what? They finally made another Bad Boys movie? It's been so long. And that was a whole lot of movie. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> this is a film that, you know, jokes aside, is just as a shit ton of movie. Yeah. yeah. Too much. Yeah, um, <laughs> a, a little too much. And that's, you know, the last time I watched this, this was in the early months of, of lockdown, so four years ago. It struck me that in a skewed way, and this is neither criticism nor compliment, it almost plays like a Star Wars, you know, Star Wars meets a live action remake of a Disney animated film that never existed. In that... You know, it's a little long. It's a little bloated. It 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 tries to fit into a and obviously it's it, this is an what what picture. Star Wars movie is too long and bloated? Like I feel like no no no. I'm preferring the Disney remake thing. Okay okay, that's fair. Yeah, The Force Awakens. <laughs> like Star Wars is fairly economical. <laughs> yeah yeah movies. no no. It's it, it's it, it, it the, the Star Wars remake. The, the so in terms of like structure, Star Wars, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, adding on top of that, yes, one of these Disney remakes where it's like, yeah, that eighty yeah. minute animated movie you like. How about we add forty minutes to it? Twenty, <laughs> and it's PG thirteen, and you know, um, obviously quality wise, this would be closer to Pete's Dragon than you know Beauty and the Beast. But I digress. Um, and you know, when when Mulan got a PG thirteen, I was very excited when that. Turned out to be one of the lamest PG-13s ever. Well, if they let the dragon maim more people, then that might have been... Uh. Um. At this dark. point, at this point in the movie, are we like, is there any suspicion that it's like, what is the, what, where is Knightley going with all this? Like, is, is there any chance that she doesn't end up with Will Turner? Like, is Jack actually going to like suddenly be a the fourth wheel because we already have Borrington on the other on the other ship. I mean, just from my point of view, I did not think so. I mean, even even then, this felt like okay, this scene is here so that the roguish character can have a couple moments of flirtation with the female lead. And even though I didn't really know what that kind of shipping driven fandom was at that point that kind of felt like a scene to play to that theoretical fan base. I um, think the first Star Wars suggests that the sequel yeah. might have something for the two of them to... I mean, that, that feels sort of... Um, well, there's clearly more chemistry between Ford and Fisher. And, and, uh, yes. I don't know. That first one, Ford, is a little rough. I'm just saying that to do that in the second one, they would have been aware that the second one, maybe Kira and Johnny Depp fall in love. You think it's a little rough? Do you watch... Star, do you watch... Star Wars one, as as we all call it, and um, and I think like the Star the, Wars. And, yeah, the, do we watch the Star Wars and think Fisher and Hamill like there's something here? Yeah, of course. No, you there, no, you go back. Together. No, there there was a triangle back then, and there was a there were people who wanted her with Luke, and there were people who wanted her with Han Solo. There, there that's was, fair. That's a, that's a different. That, that's a different aspect. Yep. I'm just thinking about the because I'm you know I'm not there. I can't. I'm not seeing that. But I, I buy into it, that. You know it as that completed story because you didn't see it till it was already done. But going through there, it was a bold choice to make her go for Harrison Ford. That that creates a better conflict. Um, but I think the idea is that he has nothing else. Luke will always have the Force and the big journey above and beyond 
getting him a a girl in the process. I hear what you're but saying. But they, they were also going to kill Han thing. Solo in the next one. <laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> I mean, like, there's you know, there's no way for me to like separate certain aspects of what I know now versus what or whatever. But like, when watching that movie, it's certainly Mark Hamill is the one that would ideally want to be with a princess as opposed. But the, but am I? Is the movie the scene itself. they showed a million times was the kiss before the swing across the chasm. That's still yeah. the scene. In yeah, that first movie, like a... you assume they're the item. They're, then they were. They weren't supposed to be brother and sister yet. That's just crazy. I get that. I know. Yeah, I get yeah. that. But all right. But I, I think, yeah, you know, there's the idea that, you know, um, Joss Whedon always brought up that, you know, uh, perfect couples make for boring TV. So always putting yeah. mis- mismatches a little bit more together makes it more interesting and then adds drama because there's always the character you think it'd be a perfect couple and they can't because of that and that adds more drama and intrigue i guess like also like at a, when i'm watching star wars at a young age it's like i'm i'm the least i'm less interested in the idea of like you know luke and leia are a couple like that you know the romance angle is not something that i'm like Han Solo's cool because he doesn't have a girlfriend in Star Wars when you're five. Well, and and with this, this plays on your pre your your preconceived notion of that with her and him being like, oh, are they really gonna go this route? Well, why wouldn't they? they? Good looking guy, Johnny Depp. They're getting drunk on an island together. Mm -hmm. The suggestion is there for a reason, and I think they ultimately chickened out. But I think it makes perfect sense that you might be attracted to this guy more than Bloom, who I I appreciate. What Scott was saying, but I always thought Bloom was the weak link here. I don't think he suggests. Yeah, I think he suggests a sort of a void that has to be there because Johnny Depp is this. I still think the star of the movie. If 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 if, if Will Turner was Heath Ledger, that would be a strange imbalance because he'd be too charismatic. I think. Well, I think Orlando Bloom is the right level of. I don't want to call him boring, but he's not super exciting movie star to my eyes. He's got like he's got levels of and not in the funny way, but like parody of what a leading man performance would be, you know, like the idea of more than carving out his own kind of thing. And that's just another way in which this film is a little off kilter in terms of expectations. Mm -hmm. As I said, Elizabeth Swan is the lead of this movie. (laughs) I mean, I'm not. Blue was fine. He's doing his job, but I mean, he's. he's, he's... I remember reading about the reading today about the the conception. They were thinking that we'll be okay with Johnny Depp because Orlando Bloom is our Errol Flynn type. But in fact, if Orlando Bloom Bloom really was like Errol Flynn, there really be very little room for Johnny Depp to no, also because be Errol Flynn is super okay. charismatic and fun to watch. Yeah, so he would be better as, as I, Captain. I, I do think that I do and think those you only make room for two people, two boy, girl, and bad guy. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not, yeah, you don't have this yeah. trio, but yeah. this is but this is a movie coming that you know, Adventures of Robin Hood is at that time uh, 70 years ago where this this is a post star wars movie and this movie and you know it you can tell that this movie is a movie that that knows star but wars the tropes exists. that come back again and again are durable this the tropes are for sure but even but, for average, it's as, as much as, as much as star wars is indebted to older um pulp cinema it's still doing things in a new way right it's still, it has the trio it has you know it has things that are modern for that time and whatnot in addition to what it's throwing back to yeah, it's a seventies. Yeah, and the, and this movie is one that's coming informed by that, informed by that seventies, you know, those ideals for what a blockbuster could be. I'm yeah. just saying the whole movie, and I really like it, does feel strangely out of balance because of the the level of 
appeal of the depth performance and that draw. You, I just don't think you could have a more charismatic actor playing Will Turner, and I think it would throw off the movie. Yeah, you're yeah. not wrong. I, I mean, wait, you're, you're arguing that he needs to be slightly boring. That may, yes, I agree. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I, it, and I would say, I think that throws back to Star Wars. I am aware that people like Luke, but I do think Mark Hamill is by default a little bit more boring. He is, uh, but yeah, yeah, Luke yeah. is the reason they wrote the story. There's no way that oh it's, maybe this was written. But by the funny, time you're and Hamill, that's why this is this is why that's the subversion, right? Because again, Elizabeth is the one that drives the plot of this movie. Like yeah. it's not the Luke Skywalker that does it. And it's funny because for years and years you'd have filmmakers and executives or people saying, oh, you know, we need to make this heroic character dark and gritty and complicated because people think Luke Skywalker is boring and they prefer Han Solo. Well, they make a Star Wars movie with a slightly shades of gray Luke Skywalker. And the, fan <laughs> and the world collapsed. Yeah. Who would think a guy in his 50s gets better about stuff? Unimaginable. And here's um, the second scene where Johnny Depp comes in interrupting Barbosa only to get caught. <laughs> It's all right. I mean, it's just we just, we just again. did this. Do <laughs> yeah. so you guys think this movie is I keep noticing how much of it is is in darkness. Is that going to be a thing that we're just going to eventually not see anymore? Uh, yes, it is yeah. because of uh, this is, a lot of confidence that comes out of Urbinski coming out of this movie uh, yeah. that pays off yeah. in spades. I mean, literal darkness. Like the the scene is dark. Yeah, yeah. Was, like, no, no, yeah, no. There's the, the, the it, where, if we're if I were Verbinski coming out of this movie, I'd be like, I'm gonna have a lot more money next time, and I'm gonna shoot in a lot more jungles and uh, things that have a lot of brightness and color and vibrancy to them. Just a thought yeah. that he might do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna make a, a certain amount of money look like a hell of a lot more than whatever they spent on Superman Returns. That's what I'm gonna do. Well, it's very <laughs> it does feel like the ride. It feels like you're getting pulled into the ride, which is light and dark and shadowy yeah. and stuff. This yeah. is still and a really like, good looking home, movie. Like, if... You can't watch this movie any as effectively because so much of it is dark. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna I but feel like the, the always, trend is to make things lighter, right? It's not yeah. like Game of Thrones dark. No, right. it's yeah, it's not House of Dragon. What what happened? <laughs> well, it, it's not yes, it's not crushing on max because thousands of people were watching it at one time and so yeah it's not going to look good as it does on like 4k when you finally have one stream to watch yes it's not that situation or the tv i had when i was first watching twin peaks the third season it just rendered it as like square squares of black yeah see what was going on yeah Uh, we skipped that's what that's what the people have chosen (laughs) but i do i have to admit the first time i saw this movie the first scene where jack and will are on the boat and he's talking about his dad I have to admit, I was like doing the math. It's like, is it going to turn out that Sparrow's his dad? Okay. And A, I'm glad they didn't do that. And B, I'm glad that in this singular film, they tell you exactly what happened to his father. It's not some kind yep. of giant cliffhanger to be resolved later. Yeah, though there is a, no, th- this is very much him. a one-off story, the way they do yeah. it. it. It does function as that. What I was going to say though about the, um, the, the visuals, I mean, yeah, like the, in addition to, yes, that there's a lot of, you know, it's doing what it needs to with the uh, studio sets or whatnot that they, because this is like LA. Like, if they're not in the Caribbean, they're filming this stuff in LA with like actual sets or whatnot. But if, you know, when it comes time to like do the visual effects and everything and really slow down the camera to make sure you see that trick right there they just did, uh, you know, if it wasn't for Lord of the Rings, this movie would easily win best uh, visual effects that year. No mm-hmm. question. Because for whatever reason, they just the they, stuff they, goes they, hated, they hated the Matrix sequel, so they couldn't nominate those at all, apparently. Yeah. Like who fucked up at Warner Brothers? We're like we we're not even nominating the Matrix. <laughs> like, People have had enough. 
It'll it really fair, they, like what's the third one? New what's, line at the point. What's the third uh, one in that in that category? It's 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 only three at that time, right? So it's Lord of the Rings. Uh, this. It's Revolutions. No, the no the third visual effects nominee <laughs> that oh. time. Clearly, the Cat in the Hat. Um, let me see here. Where's the Academy Awards? I'm genuinely curious. A beautiful line. Three, it's it's, it's going to be so, maybe it's like Master Commander, XG? probably. Let me see. Oh yeah, probably Master and Commander. Get that prestige picture in there, which still is also like one of the best films of that decade. So it doesn't matter. It is Master Commander. Yeah. So there you go. Well, that had come out this what year. Did that come out? That comes out in November. Mm-hmm. November, right? Yeah. It's uh, yeah. After it's November. This? Yeah. Yeah. After this, yes, it's November. That that didn't that perform as, as well as no. It oh. cost too much. No, it was not a hit. Which. Something that frankly seems lost on the perpetually online that are always why didn't we get eight of these because nobody showed up in the first nobody one. wanted to see it, yeah, even though it's because uh, fucking masterpiece. Is like, not so a good. masses and seed star, <laughs> he's been coasting on Gladiator for 25 years. But 2003, Russell Crowe in a new like epic, like you would think, like, yeah, that, but it's also Master Commander, which is a very as opposed to the the pulpiness of something like this master commander is a very like sturdy kind of drama that happens to be set on the high seas it's great like it's wonderful and it's a lot more fun than i mean obviously people seem to recognize that because they you know constantly bring out on twitter how great master commander is anytime they can but like it you know the impression of it isn't necessarily we just got a summer where pirates of the caribbean happened and now we have russell crowe like leading the band of boys on some boat somewhere like that's not exciting like what happened to Peter Weir after that? What did he do after? He made that one movie with um, Ed Harris and Colin Farrell, um, The Way Back, and that's mm. it. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was his last one. That's it. He hasn't done anything since. He hung it up. He got it. He got an Oscar, honor Oscar, right? I think so. I think he just like I think he retired. Yeah, but like he, last yeah. year he got the honorary Academy Award. Yeah, but yeah, he has just hasn't done anything. But he's also he's seventy nine years old. And... Mm-hmm. As if that would stop him, really, Scott's like, Ridley's I have three, movies in, my, on, I have three movies in my back pocket right now that I'm making. Yep. <sighs> that we that pirate shot of the, the ghost pirates underwater, cool shot. It's good stuff. It's, uh, that's fun. Uh, I do it, like that they give her father a brief sequence showing that, yes, he gets it. You know, it's... they give um um uh price a lot to do here that yeah. works mm-hmm. like just enough where you're like i care about the situation that's taking place uh price... and again norrington you know is is a slightly more fleshed out nuanced character than he needed to be they respect him enough i mean there's a, i mean that that's yeah. you know that's obviously that's a big part of the success of all these like you've been saying that the fact that they give they give a lot of um stuff for these people to do and feel and you you know you you're with them you're with the fact that Norrington gets to be a little bit more dimensional is why when you see him in the next one you're a little excited to see him again because you like him a little bit when he shows up halfway through or whatever happens and with this movie it's very likable like ultimately the goals are not really nefarious like the the villain's goal is literally i just want to be able to eat an apple and like taste it like that's that's his dastardly plan uh, you know, yes, people are dying because <laughs> that's what's happening. But ultimately, there's a there is a sense of um, even though we're pirates, we're not ter- we're not raping people. Kind of pirates, we're not those pirates. Uh, we we are we have a specific kind of goal, and the only we just there's only one way we know how to accomplish it, which is you know pillaging sounds. So yeah, obviously, were you to make more of these, you'd want to have to increase those mm-hmm. stakes to some in some way. 
you might perhaps you know villainize the british government and turn into a giant parable you know a 911 parable you might use things that make accurate sense based on what's going yes. on at that time yes and, <laughs> and if that happens to align with the way history repeats itself sure i mean like that's, you know, that's not a thing. perhaps about a seemingly civil society that's so overreacted to the threat of piracy that they became they themselves became the villains that would be an interesting place to take a look uh jonathan price by the way tom wilkinson uh was negotiating for this role um yeah okay didn't happen you can see that it'd be less be a little less fun r.i.p much love yeah uh brian cox turned it down because he apparently according to that memoir that he wrote didn't want to work with johnny depp um, huh. even though he would have like one scene with him i guess if he did do that movie <laughs> like i don't know <laughs> uh but yeah uh jonathan price signed on and hey we're all better for it John, who doesn't like jonathan price showing up in things this entire sequence and you know we're the eight billionth person or people to point this out you have an entire mass battle scene where one party literally cannot be killed uh-huh so really all the action is i don't want to say irrelevant because <laughs> that's harsh mm-hmm. but especially on an initial viewing, it works. You know, I the same issue with, you know, when we, you and I, Brandon, saw Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, which has the same issue, but... It's not too prolonged well, in Golden Army, but yeah. yeah. The it's difference... an issue, you know, it's, 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 and I don't know how you write yourself out of that hole other than just you embrace it. The, well, the, the difference, it. like, in... I'm, you know, being being one that thinks Golden Army is a masterpiece, that is a agreed. That's one weaker area of the film because yes, it relies. You're just seeing cool shit, which I'm not against. Like, yeah, you yeah. want to see Ron Perlman doing cool shit in the movie. <laughs> this movie, at the least, they know the plan is we just have to stall them as long as we can for Jack to be able to accomplish what they need to do. Like, there is yeah. a reason why they're fighting. They may know that there is not a real outcome that can come from this, but at least they know ultimately. As long as we hold them off for a long time, we can, you know, something will resolve itself. Yeah. All that said, all of this involves people going in and out. Of, like, they're really making a meal out of the whole, when you're in the moonlight, you're a zombie thing. And it's like, it's cool. Like, the, the yeah. fight in the caves, especially with the light raining down from the ceilings, that's really fun to watch. That's really cool to see and have them go, you know, in and out of the, the you know, watching ILM in there at their prime when they have one movie at a time to work on it's great to see what they can come up with this sequence with these two pirates in drag is proof that even 21 years ago disney was trying to indoctrinate your children (laughs) well i mean it it was uh it was curse of the black pearl too i mean come on jeez (laughs) uh we live in hell nonsense well, you know, if they ever make that Margot Robbie Pirates movie, that'll get nothing but um. Isn't that uh, de- isn't that gone? Pretty. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I think Dead Men yeah. Tell No Tales on that one at this point. But yes. yeah, I mean, I don't think any of them were ever going to happen. But whatever. I mean, you say that, but it's like you make enough of these. You Disney kind of wants to keep me. I I don't know about you, Scott, but I feel like Disney likes squeezing the uh, squeezing that rock as much as they can to get as much water out of it. That was Jungle Cruise, Aaron. Oh, is that yeah? Yeah, oh, I think that Jungle Cruise didn't work. You might be, you know, I, yeah. It would not shock me if they tried to do something new with this. But what? Who yeah. like who? Who sells a new pirate? Like who do you get? That's like all right. That actor plus pirates. We, we should we should say we should say we we should come back. We should, put a, we should put a pin in that conversation because I feel like one actor per commentary. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. Okay. Barry Keegan. 
Um, <laughs> Barry Keegan and Johnny Depp. Both. Honestly, yes. I would. No, I, no I Johnny would Depp. Like you got to You got to completely. Wait, wait. Who was the first one? Barry Keegan. Barry oh, Keegan. Yeah. Um. Well, no. You just like Independence Day. There's a frame picture of of Johnny Depp in a window, being like, "Oh, he died in that explosion." But here's his son, Barry Keegan. <laughs> You bring Shyamalan. I don't think they'll do it until they can do it with that. I think they will viable be able to. in an IP. Um, I mean, is is Shyamalan viable in an IP? The the one time he was did that it was Airbender. I mean, I I'm can sorry, just... Shyamalan, Timothy, Timothy. Oh, Chalamet. You're saying like Shyamalan? I'm like, what are you talking uh, about? <laughs> um, uh, Have you I... seen my friend's braids, Aaron? What? Oh, okay. I got you. <laughs> I I think you could get Tom Hiddleston to do a knockoff Johnny Depp something. Yeah, that could that could float well with people. No, Downey Junior. He's played in this world like that's Doolittle. <laughs> that's him really don't think, I think they would just wait two years and do it with Johnny Depp again. I think he'll have the residual. I, I'm going on if they don't. Because <laughs> I'm trying to do Margot Robbie because it's a bad yeah, idea. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't, don't know think Margot that. Robbie moves the needle on a well, maybe now. I mean, but she just I mean, this may be obvious, but if you want to do a female pirate movie, you know, Karen Gillan, yeah. Um, and right. a dozen that's, other that's one that come to mind, it's yeah. one each, <laughs> all right. Stay tuned. Uh, if they make a sequel to Pirates, <laughs> if they make a sequel to Pirates, we'll each throw another person out. Depp did win SAG, by the way, for this movie. You know, he got nominated for an Oscar, but he won SAG, which is not no, yeah. no short feat. I mean, that that's the all of the actors <laughs> that uh, voted him. They knew. Um, kind of I still think it's hysterical, especially in retrospect, <laughs> that in 2008, Donnie Jr. got nominated, not for Iron Man, but for Tropic Thunder. Yeah, because you can you can knock him in that supporting category pretty easily. I mean, you know, well, that could be it. Two thousand eight, you had the face off against, uh, you know, Langella, Ross Nixon, and um, you know those other guys. Um, actually, was Depp in there in two thousand eight? Did he do something? Did John and win both years, 2003 and 2008? And eight, yeah, yeah, he, he won. Yeah, Ricky Rourke is the yeah. other one that year, the wrestler. Um, yeah, no, you couldn't stop Penn in the 2000s. He's a... Yeah, apparently not. Good smash cut. Her <laughs> 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 just rolling a blade. <laughs> What else? Uh, Zoe Saldana, um, this is her last pirate movie. Um, not a good experience making this film. That's uh, that's what she's uh, talked about plenty. Um, Scared plenty. to ask. Uh, you know, I, I feel like she's being charitable as far as the why, um, but essentially it seems to boil down to a lot of people on the set, not everyone's getting respect all the time. Um, that's That seems like a very... Wow. Um, very lacking of very vague way to to, to explain things, um, but I, I can understand it being like one of the few women on set in a giant action movie like this, but alone a woman of color uh, and having to deal with a lot of things in a giant mega blockbuster. And apparently, it's really hard not to be an asshole. Mm-hmm. 
we get the running theme of these two guys. Like we have the we have on the pirate side, we have the the those two main pirates that aren't you know the stars, and then we have these two guys on the British side that like get their own little arc as well, which is fun. Yes. Movie knows how to round things out. Another trailer shot. Yep. That's the Bruckheimerness of this all too, by the way. I, I I always wonder how those collaborations work when it's not one of his like normal guys, when it's not Bay or Scott or Simon West. <laughs> like how <laughs> what what kind of because Bruckheimer seems like a guy who's on set a lot. He seems like a guy that's very much involved in his in the productions. Verbinski's getting like his feet wet and you know, this this scale of something. Well, I I think there's a case to be made that this is a more of a Bruckheimer film just in the same way that the first Transformers was or you know, Spielberg at least partially a Spielberg picture as There's well. The, as yeah, the most Spielberg you could see in this in the first Transformers yeah. for sure. And yes, this does have more. Yes, this is less, well, this is far less experimental than anything else that might come after it. Yeah, and if there was another one, there may be more, you know, a Batman Returns kind of go full tilt or. A lot of good editing, you know, watching the movie yeah. on mute. Like it's, it's it's really really solid stuff. For an era that we were our people were talking about, you know, cutting faster and stuff like the Michael Bay effect. This one still it just feels so casual and patient, um, and calculated. Well, it's, we're we're a year before Matt. Editing. We're a year before Matt Damon changes all everything. Yeah, <laughs> and it, and it ups it too. Yeah, that it, well, I mean, that adds the mm-hmm. the the shakiness, which. Like I say, it it can be effective if your name's Paul Greengrass, but yeah. not everybody's Paul Greengrass. Clearly, and some decide, hey, we can do that in post production instead. Uh-huh. Well, and I I think Gore Verbinski, while he's obviously not known as an action director per se, maybe he should be, but whatever, you know, he he constructs very coherent action sequences. Yeah, I mean, regardless of what you feel about the Lone Ranger, and I could maybe we should do a commentary for that one day. You know, the action scenes in that film are spectacular. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And they are very classically constructed and composed. Well, the finale is the finale is an all timer yeah. in a yeah, movie yeah. that took a long time to get to that finale. <laughs> mm-hmm. The music here, a... we can't hear it at all, but the music is really lovely in this sequence when they all start to become re- human again. There's there's a two ten version of Lone Ranger that's a fucking masterpiece. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a 210 version uh, starring one less cannibal that might be pretty great. That's true. That's a... <laughs> but which one? I just said one less. I always oh, feel like right. if you have one, only one cannibal on set, you're fine. Mm-hmm. If you have more than one, then you're really asking for trouble. Homeboy's got to gotta eat. Barry Pepper knows what he did. <laughs> <laughs> God, Barry Pepper's got the best seat in that movie, but yeah. the other day. Barry Pepper in his late mid two thousand two 2000s, early two twenty tens phase where he plays like really skinny villain characters like between Lone Ranger and uh, True Grit. I'm like, is he eating? Like, is he all right? Uh, <laughs> is he doing okay? Like, are we all good with Pepper? <laughs> he lost all that weight for three. Played Dale Earnhardt. Is it called three? Battlefield Earth. Was it called three? three? But it didn't. 
the ESPN movie. When, I, remember, like, I know you're ESPN? referring to. Like, yeah, right. ESPN was making movies and TV shows. Mm-hmm. This really mirrors the situation 21 years ago at the crest where uh, I was at 10, 10 30 and I was like, this movie's too long. <laughs> like I'm watching them fight in a cavern for 45 minutes. And it's I, still have, not over. I have had three buckets of popcorn already. Come on. <laughs> I was looking for a reason because of the Hulk. I admit it. But <laughs> the first night I remember going, man, this has got to end sometime soon. It's yeah, that's. It's, I just feel the same tired that I feel now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. It's all it's always. It's why I have no qualms about uh, preferring certain other movies. <laughs> uh, like, I do think this one has that repetitive feel to it it's certainly it's like it's it's it has that thing of it's a very started happening where you'd see the runtime it used to be 105 minutes then it became 135 minutes Uh like a movie like this you always know you're going to get an extra act of action too much of a good thing which is great when you can stop and well this isn't even like i wouldn't even say this is like overloaded action it just feels like it's there's a lot of story it seems to want to tell, even though there's ultimately not much story there to begin with. Like, no, I, yeah. like even this more... epilogue that we're getting right now, it's like, mm-hmm. we're still going? Like, we have another action sequence we have to do? <laughs> yep. Well, the line that sells the whole movie, I think, is 135 the minutes. best part I've ever seen. I mean, that's just cheers from the audience on that, which is another <laughs> mm-hmm. line, you know? I think generally speaking, 135 minutes or so is an ideal length for a modern action picture because you have time for four extended sequences plus lots of time for character and plot. So n- none of the above gets shortchanged. I mean, and just offhand, I'm thinking, you know, face off. There was a time in the oil, 80s where it would have been 105 minutes. Like Commando is not 135 minutes. Well, you know, like, that's uh, why face off is better. Minutes, but Fury, Fury Road is two hours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, mm-hmm. well, that's because that's a movie that is very. I don't want to say economical, but in terms of it does a lot of its storytelling mid-action, which is one reason why it's yeah, awesome. I mean, that, that's that, that just feels like that's a, that's trying to let other movies off the hook. Other movies should also aspire to be that good. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not against something long. Again, John Wick is t- four is two hours <laughs> and 48 to seven minutes, something like that. Like, to be fair, it has like a half hour digression, which is it does. It's not Great. all action. Yeah, I love it, but you can go to the bathroom during that scene if you want to. You shouldn't, but you can. Other than that, yeah, I think other than that one scene in Germany, I think he's in Germany, it's paced like a 130-minute movie. Um, but anyway, whatever. The third one's about 130 minutes. No, it's not like I'm yeah, it yeah. is. I'm like I'm not again again, I'm not I'm not against yeah. the notion of a long action movie. It's just more it, it, I'm not I, against it either. I'm just noting that it changed at a certain point where they all became it becomes the, like, a standard. Uh, yes. Well, like they like the, yeah. the 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 um the visionaries known as the Russo brothers literally note on one of the commentaries, I believe it's Civil War, where they where one one forty one is some kind of weird sweet spot for for the for movies now. Mm-hmm. Like for whatever reason, summer blockbusters at one forty one, not one forty. 141 somehow that's some kind of magic number like that that that's why this that just works for test audiences works for all all involved it's not too long as far as having extra show times in a day that's some some kind of sweet spot that hits it like that's and that's why we keep getting ones that are around that length that this yeah point. yeah 
Is that Assassin's yeah. Creed movie 140 minutes? God, no, I think. Thank uh, it only feels like about 100. It feels like 140 yeah. plus another three. It's a 180. Which feels pretty long, by the way. The, the, the Batman has a. It's not the best paced. Oh. <laughs> That's a classic example of a movie that has an entire fourth act, for better or worse. Yeah. I like this musketeer look that Will's going for yes. by all minutes here. Like that's where he's he's in a Dumas story all of a sudden. He probably look good as Dread Pirate Roberts too. He'd probably make a great Dread Pirate. I mean, that's what he plays in the Three Musketeers from W. S. Anderson, basically the the evil version of that. Yeah. This is how more rom-com should end, by the way. Just a lot of uh, bayonets being pointed at people as they work out their romantic woes. Like, if my best friend's wedding, too, still my best friend, <laughs> another wedding, uh, ended with Durbin Moroni. Yeah. <laughs> my, best, my, my best friend's second wedding. Yeah. <laughs> like, second best friend's wedding. And they're stuck for some reason, like, with Interpol, like, pointing guns at them while they're working out what they want to do next with their lives. Uh, guaranteed blockbuster right there. Uh, this, this, that story, I was that earlier than like the Blues Brothers where you started seeing scenes with guys with like 50 guns pointed at somebody. I feel like before that, you never would have seen that. I mean, Harold Lloyd <laughs> famously has a bunch of guns pointed at him. In a, yeah, I guess it's the whole time. thing. I mean, that's the, like... <laughs> that bit right there when when he <laughs> when Jack says like it would have never worked out between us. Kira Knightley yeah. gives like the funniest look to him. He's like, fuck you. Like, what is this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's yeah, fun Prattfall. He falls. Intended okay. Prattfall. He pulls a jinx and die another day. Right, Brandon? <laughs> Jumps right off yeah. that edge there. That's right. Just <laughs> Jumps but into a spin off. But it looked better. <laughs> no, but no, you're, you're wrong. Verbinski was missing a shot of right right over him as he goes over the cliff right. to turn into a CG double. <laughs> it's magic of movies when you see that die another day. How good of a mensch is Price, where he's just like, look, you don't get to marry my daughter, but hey, you still ride pretty high, right, guy? You know, buck up. <laughs> get back out there. Dude, where do you find a hat like that? Seriously, what is this look he has? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like he carries this over either. <laughs> like, he's like, you know what? That's my thing for now on. I mean, tri-corner hat, sure, but that hat—that's special. That's a that's a that's a a special hat. It, yeah, you got the folded up bill on the side, like he, he's yeah, good, like, like a gala. buckle up there. Like... Yeah, there's all kinds of things going on. That might be a bespoke hat yeah. that he had to order <laughs> for, like in Malta. <laughs> he's like he's like classy debonair witch finder general. Yeah, he is. Where are you, witches? <laughs> Just to make it clear, too, they've liked it. They they establish this in the commentaries, but uh, Will is like the best sword fighter. We'll we'll learn more about this later on, I assume. Too. But okay. Will, Will's the best sword fighter. Barbosa and Norrington are like evenly matched, and Jack's the worst. That's like been that's the rule that they have for like how they how they uh, do battle. Mm. 
And, and that's what I was going to say earlier too, Yancy, to your point as far as Will being somewhat boring. Like, I think the what the movie wants to do is have that early sword fight sequence. So it's like, at least you can get behind this guy in terms of like his prowess. Like he may yeah. not be doing it for you as far as charisma, although I don't think he's fairly charismatic. Oh yeah. But like, you know that he's capable. Like you, at the very least, he's not a guy that's going to whine all the time. He's a guy that knows how to get things done as far as action and goes. To right. a certain extent, they make his decency somewhat sexy. Yeah, that's he's what he's sold on entirely because Jack's yeah. doing everything else. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the ragtagness of this crew, which we haven't talked about too much, by the way, because you got Gibbs, you got Zoe Sedani, you got Martin Kleba the little person you have a blind guy with or like a guy with no tongue with a parrot (laughs) like the the rest of this crew is like just a bunch of literal scallywags they really uh really try to set them apart and they build them up over the movie they give a little more more bits to everybody so by Uh the end you feel like you know them all a little bit Uh, Jack or Johnny Depp kept losing his hats. Uh, he lost like mm. ten hats, so they eventually made a rubber hat for him, so they could at least find it in the water, wait for it to ever blow off. Uh, okay. Yeah. Did he keep losing them, or just the wind blowing? I'd, I'd imagine it's the yeah. uh, the wind for the most part. They didn't want to like pin it uh, pin it to his hair, or imagine he's gonna be. Maybe I, I imagine they tried. You said the lines on the ride. <gasps> Yay! Holds up. There he based, is, Dick Walpert. Based on a story on a ride by. Yeah, try <laughs> competing. Try competing original screenplay though. That's Jerry Bruckheimer. Huh. <laughs> Oh, also, he shot. Over I there. miss Gore Verbinski. Yeah, Verbinski's been uh, pretty absent after the cure yeah. for wellness. Yeah, I was well, like, he, love, when you cure wellness, what else do you do? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's really that's the thing. He he, he did it. <laughs> he solved he solved wellness because he had he was on Gambit, a movie that we're all still waiting for. Um, but that's gone. Um, I feel like something would. Was announced like maybe a while ago, but I don't. I haven't heard anything as far as anything I mean, he's doing. I've heard his back name about Bioshock for like fifteen years. Well, Bioshock was a long like he that was yeah. a, that was a thing with him before Cure Her Wellness even. And you can actually, yeah. you, if you know the game Bioshock, I'm not going to say they're one for one, but you can see you can see traces of what he could have mm-hmm. done in Bioshock in a Cure yeah. Her Wellness. Um, I like that when they don't do an IP and they make an original. That's like, well, this is kind of like the IP, but I'm just fucking around. And when I mean, you're, you know, Guillermo del Toro, you win a bunch of Oscars for that. I, I like the Care for Wellness quite a bit. I, uh, um, I know it, it's a, it's a very weird, ambitious movie. And I like I, the first act quite a bit, and I will eventually watch it again. It's the, it's the third where it goes off. That I like the second yeah. act fine. I just, it's also, you know, it's two and a half hours for whatever. Well, reason. that's the thing is, I saw that during an unusually torrential rainpour, so I was the only person on earth that thought the movie was too short. <laughs> um. But yeah, after that, I mean, we could talk more about Verinsky another time as well to get more into where he's at. But uh, that being said, what did you guys do after you saw the movie in the theaters? 
That's a good question. I only saw it the one, I only saw it the once in the theater. I know that. Yeah. And that's a time when I'm seeing movies like because it's a summer, so I'm I'm hopping things all the time. Yeah. So if like if there's nothing else, if there's no like second movie that comes out that week, I'll just see a movie I already saw again. Uh, but that's I don't think I don't think I saw Pirates more than once in the theater. I I had the I bought the DVD and I watched that plenty when it came right. out. I probably went home and watched the DVD. What's around pirates? Like, cause the week after is Bad Boys Two, even better. So I haven't seen that. Yeah, quite accurate in that case. Too bad, too bad. <laughs> what you gonna do? <laughs> gonna do when too bad come for you? Too bad, too bad. Oh, oh this oh, yeah. was also the summer of Too Fast, Too Furious. That's Which... the only one I didn't see in theaters. I don't know why. It's such a. Mm-hmm. I think it's because of the vacation thing. It just it messed with like my whole schedule of like how to see summer movies. Like that's the one where like I didn't see that. Um, well, that's the thing. Look, League, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That's the other thing mm-hmm. that came out this weekend, which is yeah. nuts. <laughs> yeah, that's so crazy. That's <laughs> the same. And it opened with, I would argue, even then and now, a halfway decent twenty three million dollars, but. You know, really? it's a lousy movie, so it didn't have legs. Come see Sean Connery one last time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Spy Kids 3D, which made a lot of money. Yeah, it's Stallone. Which, yeah, that, Spy that Kids was, was like, a, is a successful. It was like his biggest opening weekend ever for even anything remotely. It's starring role. Um, I, I think the first Creed of opened higher eventually. Inflation, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. Um. And what else opened that on July 25th, 2003? Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. Which, it's, uh, the trap did not do well. It's a pack. Like, this is like even just June alone is like packed. Yeah. Like, Seabiscuit like, on the 25th. Seabiscuit, the Legally Blonde sequel, and Terminator 3 are at the same time. That's like, that's the July 4th weekend, right? That's when that, that happened. This was back when studios actually released movies in the years. Yeah. The Charlie's Angels sequel. now. The Charlie's Angel sequel, I remember, because I saw that with friend of the show Scooter on the same day as 28 Days Later. So 28 Days Later first, and then I think we jumped to Charlie's Angels afterwards. <laughs> it was like, this is a lot, of, a lot of change going on in the tones of movies that we were watching. Charlie's Angels Full Throttle was one of those examples of me realizing that the pundits were sometimes wrong and stupid. Because there was like punditry arguing the film was going to open to like $70 million, which even... 23-year-old me thought was insane because the first one opened to 40 and well I liked it and most people thought it was fine it's not like anyone was chopping at the bit for another (laughs) giant job the the market the the marketing campaign for that one looked like an after it will look like an afterthought like the trailers I mean I don't know it didn't feel as so when it opens to like 40 which it seemed like it was everywhere when the when it was coming out not to me I mean I you you're in California I'm not but like where I'm at, I was just like, oh, there, there's another one. Like, I feel like they should have been pushing it more. And the trailer just kind of felt like, well, here, here, here's some more stuff. And there's not Bill Murray, but. There's Demi Moore is now in this. I mean, it, it's. So, yeah. Maybe it's more because I see movies every week where I just kept seeing the trailer or... for Charlie's Angels. I mean, I remember I mean, the trailer, happened. but the trailer wasn't good. Like, it was. Yeah. I mean, no, it, it was a very 2000s trailer where it wants to sell the big action scene that happens at the beginning where there's like trucks and shit going off a dam and all that. It's, mm. It was basically Fast X. That was the trailer for the movie. <laughs> uh, it, but it was a classic example of, of Hollywood looking for a reason to not make more big female-centric pictures. It basically made the exact same amount of money as the first one on a slightly higher budget, yet was held up as this giant flop. 
Well, it didn't help that people didn't like it either. I mean, that was true. <laughs> no one liked the movie. I'm not saying we should have made another one, but you know, at the end of the day, money is money. I mean, they did make another one eventually, and that worked out. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's had anything bad to say about that recently. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would love for someone to just say, "Yeah, that film flopped, but hey, I had a good time making it," and I whatever. I mean, if they did, then they could say it. <laughs> I've seen I've seen those interviews also with other movies. Where you're like, yeah, it didn't do well, but I like making it. <laughs> we had fun on set. The Rugrats laughs. Went, the Rugrats went wild that summer, also, by the way. Oh. <laughs> Rugrats, which is a surprisingly pretty strong franchise cinematically. Yes. <laughs> those movies did pretty well. The first Rugrats was the first non-Disney movie to cross hundred million domestic. Mm-hmm. Did it like a month before uh, Prince of Egypt. Oh, congrats, Rugrats. Oh, yeah, Ben Like Beckham is the same summer. So like it really is like yeah. the first time people are seeing mm-hmm. nightly in movies. Well, it was the whole like yeah, like I said, and there was the revelation that she was in Star Wars, and I was like, oh, I th- thought there was something weird with that <laughs> performance there, and um, and it was like, who is this? Yeah, she, as much as people talked about Depp, there was like, who is this girl in this movie? Like, yeah, because I mean, Ben like Beckham made seventy six worldwide, so for a lot yep. of people, this nobody, was their first exposure. Yep, nobody was talking about Orlando Bloom. He had to feel like shit. Like he was the tomboy beanpole, right? That was the gag. I need a cool was that Kieran Hadley was the sexiest tomboy beanpole on the planet. That was somebody's review of Ben to like Beckham. Yeah. So that the slightest buzz she has was just based on the repetition of that tomboy beanpole joke. Uh, I need a cool news. When did Italian job come out? Was it the end of May? Is that like the week after Memorial Day? Uh, 1970s, I believe. Yeah, so, yeah. Sixty-nine, I believe, actually. Or is it sixty-nine? Was it sixty-nine? Okay, yeah. Good movie. Good flick. Uh, Daddy Daycare was also like doing super business for Eddie Murphy for like the first a lot time of movies. The first time in a while. Set, setting the stage for Cuba to take over. Yeah, that's what they all said. This is this gonna be a lot mm-hmm. better if we had Cuba, I believe. We'll have Cuba next time. We gotta get through this one. And DreamWorks, DreamWorks was like, "What if we made a Sinbad movie that nobody cared about, and we had all these stars that aren't voice actors, but tried?" Brad Pitt in Sinbad. Yeah. And DreamWorks mm-hmm. was like, "You know what? It's great about that Sinbad movie, Brad Pitt. We should bring him back for Megamind." Ha! Get that Pitt energy in there. I saw. Oh. An, I was funny. I saw an article recently to talk about stars that have tried out Marvel and mentioned Brad Pitt. I'm like, really? Does that ca- like? Really? <laughs> They're going on that? <laughs> they were going, I'm like, I, I I get you looked up an IMDb page and saw him there, but oh, look, a post-credits scene. Yes, here we go. Post-credits scene, why we needed to milk this so we can get more of the monkey. People love monkeys. Oh, I already closed my box. I'll no. never know. Well, I think okay. I've never seen this before. you never yeah, seen this before? Yes, yeah, so you got the post. So. All, all, of these movies, every day. all of these movies have post-credits scenes. <laughs> this is this one. And they get what movies? I thought there were no sequels. Well, now we can reveal that there actually are more pirates movies. <laughs> oh, and the, I, be, I believe the post credit scenes get more and more significant as they go along. Yes. <laughs> like they get more plot heavy. Yeah, longer. Okay, if, you know. Yeah, the next one, one has like a full on... on by the fifth one. Mm-hmm. The, the next one has a full on plot, like. <laughs> Uh, Lord of the Rings is still like 27 at the box office when Pirates is out, by the way. <laughs> 206 days in release. Good for them. Yeah. The second one? The second one, yeah. 
two towers. Made like Bloom summer. Made nine. <laughs> Bloom year. He's got the winter to look forward to. Also, he's yeah, going, he's coming back. Yeah. Seeing something in between. Is he have anything else going on? Um, but yeah, we've done it. We've talked about the first Pirates of the Caribbean film. Dun, All dun, of it. Dun, 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 dun. 20% there, folks. Exactly. So if you if you if you feel like you didn't get enough, enough of the, the the juice that is the enjoyment of us talking about pirates movies, don't worry. We have four more times to do this uh, to really satisfy that that need. Uh so yeah, with all that said the Rob Marshall one. No, we're watching that one twice. Uh we're gonna two commentaries for it. Back to back make sure we fit that same night. We'll have too much to say. So we'll need to do it again. Have we ever done a commentary for a movie that terrible? Uh, that's a fun that's question. That's fun a fun though. question we should save for when we get to Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Um, <laughs> my, my my gut answer is no. I don't think we've ever done any dumpster fire movie commentaries before. No, 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 no. Brandon, we've been, well, no, Brandon, you weren't on that one. Um, uh, Alien versus Predator Requiem would come to mind. Oh. Fair. Stranger uh, Tides is worse. Yeah, because I've, wa- I've, 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 I've watched Requiem multiple times. Yes. I've seen that other movie uh, not many times. Anyway, <laughs> let's wrap it up. Movies that look like they're horribly whatever on HBO Max. Let's, yeah, let's let's wrap it up there. Uh, where can people find more of you guys online? Uh, Brandon. Uh, the Brandon Peter Show. It's brandonpetershow.com on social media at Brandon4KUHD. Um, and then uh, you can find all my stuff with Popcon at popcon.us. Look for the live podcast stage and submit your podcast for the podcast awards. Uh, Yancy, anything on a plug? Really, Yancy Jack on Twitter, uh, Milky Way Blues for some old stuff, and uh, hopefully uh, next month, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean too. Scott Mendelson. Um, I uh, do a weekly column for the Sunday night What I'm Hearing newsletter for Buck News, and I am I recently started up my own Substack called The Outside Scoop. Please come and subscribe, or else. How much is that, Scott? Uh, $5 a month, 50 for the year. Or if you want to be a mensch, you can go to the founders page and type in one zero 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 comma zero 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 dot zero zero. Oh, it's a steal. Okay, it's a steal like exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can find everything I do on my personal com. I am um, on all the socials on as Aaron's P- Aaron's PS4. This podcast there, we can find podcasts, and you can find us on all the socials there as well. Um, you know how to find this show. Uh, yeah that's gonna do it thank you brandon yancey and scott for joining me for this commentary track well thank you mm-hmm. we will uh keep this thing going in a month from now with pirates of the caribbean going dead man's chest that's gonna do it for this week for this month's pod commentary episode so until next time so long and goodbye